Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 231 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast. Uh, this is going to be our big 2022 season preview uh, with opening day coming up later this week when the Brewers start their season in Chicago against the Cubs. As usual, we have lots to talk about. So this one's going to be kind of like a, a double stuff episode, so to speak. We're going to mm-hmm. go through each position of the Brewers and then you know, go through the NL Central and the rest of the league, make our division picks, award picks, all that fun stuff. So uh, hopefully hopefully, uh, you you guys are in for, for the long haul because we're going to be here for a bit talking through all this stuff. And, uh, you know, despite all of that, it feels like the season kind of snuck up on me, you know, that, that accelerated mm-hmm. spring training uh really took me by surprise when i looked at the calendar and i was like oh holy crap yep. opening days next week so we got ryan we got paul guys how are, how are you feeling about the season coming up um i'm it's like i'm on me because I, I was on spring break vacation last week and not looking at the world at all and so i basically got home and it's like oh baseball starts now okay which is fine by me i'm good with that um i'm uh i'm happy to have baseball getting going shortly and uh, it, honestly, it's it, it sort of pairing up with the end of the NCAA tournament is uh, it, it works. OK, it's going well. So I'm, I'm happy with it. I will. I, I would like to very quickly complain because I stayed in two different hotels on spring break that uh, hotels have started installing these barn door style doors on bathrooms at the hotel. Oh, yep. <laughs> I saw that. Yep, I've been in a couple of those. And yeah. So my first hotel um, was at it was the Legoland Hotel. And like, fine, you're the Legoland Hotel that you're not really about the that kind of thing but then i stayed at a nice hotel on my second hotel and they also had and so i, I want to complain about this publicly that uh bathroom doors should close it should be one of the major functions <laughs> it's one of the essential functions of doors generally speaking and uh it really really need to hit that on the bathroom and uh, it, it's really really obnoxious to to have like a bathroom door that has like four inches around the uh, each exterior portion exposed to the rest of the room it's like there's oh no boy at all. it's ridiculous so people need to oh, that it's joanna Gaines' fault um so let's put blame where it, <laughs> where it deserves to be and chip Gaines too um it's hgtv's fault but you guys got to stop doing that like bathrooms need doors this is not complicated yeah i mean this is like europeans have been saying what the fuck forever at americans about the fact that our bathroom doors in like stalls and bathrooms don't go all the way to the floor. They think yeah. that's really weird. Yeah. And it They're is right. it's super weird and it's <laughs> gross. And it's it's frankly very strange. So yeah, I'm yeah. I'm hundred percent on this. Like doors should close. Frankly, bathrooms should have master bathrooms should have a separate little cubby for the toilet. And then for everything else, you know, the shower and the sink and all that other stuff, there should be just a separate little cubby in the master bathroom for the mm-hmm. toilet. 100%. That is that is ideal design, and we are going to be so long on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, that, that's right. like four minutes in not, the bathroom. Not good rant, on brevity so, so yeah. far. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. At least there wasn't carpeting, right, Paul? Oh God. So there was not carpeting. Mercifully, yes, that is good. <laughs> oh. All right. Uh, before we get too off track, let's just start off by uh, doing the usual reminder. You can become a patron, help support us, throw a few bucks our way at patreon.com slash tailgate. Aside from helping us out, you also get question priority here on this podcast, as well as the reporting as eligible Packers podcast. Five bucks a month gets you that extra content, that minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire. You'll also get access to uh, the reporting as eligible mini pods through the Packers offseason and in the off chance there's a 
Milwaukee's tailgate mini pod throughout the season <laughs> as well. You get that. It's happened once uh, in the blue moon. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, a new song release from Paul or what have you. So uh, <laughs> Tex, yeah, sign up for that. Text tried to make me do one the other day, so I'm, gonna, <laughs> I, I'm not. I don't know the song well enough, so it's not going to happen. You can't rush genius. That's the thing. Also so true. there's that. All right. Well, that question priority is going to come in handy for uh, a good handful of our regulars here because we asked uh, our patrons to help us out, basically kind of fill out this show. So what we're going to do is go position by position. And we asked for some position specific questions along the way to kind of help guide our, uh, you know, conversation here. So I guess let's just start. Uh, going around the diamond, and and we'll start with the offense first because I feel like there's more questions there. There's more to talk about. We we know the pitching's awesome, but if there's going to be a sticking point for the 2022 Brewers, it'll probably be similar to the 2021 Brewers, where the offense was you know looking average-ish on paper, and it didn't exactly play out that way. So that's got me feeling a little nervous. I'll find out if you guys feel the same way. So let's start with catcher. Obviously, you know, Omar Narvaez kind of has the starting job locked down after producing really well last year. But, uh, you know, that first year in 2020, it was a strange year. We're not going to harp too much on that. Uh, but obviously, there's change behind him, right? Manny Pena is not on the Brewers for the first time in what seems like forever. And backup catcher is kind of a question now. So our first Patreon question is going to come from who else? Jay Google. Asking uh, by the numbers, either offensively or defensively, is Severino a mild upgrade or downgrade at backup catcher? Uh, Ryan, let's start with you. How do you feel about Severino stepping into that backup catcher role, replacing Manny Pena? If there's anything besides pitching that I have confidence in the Brewers' ability in it's to identify like depth catchers to bring them in and to have them be good. So the fact that they picked Pedro Severino. I feel very good about what is going to happen here. His defensive numbers were lacking last year. I 100% think that they identified some things that they can work with in that and that they're going to have him uh, being a very good defensive catcher because essentially in the Stearns era, the Brewers haven't deployed bad defensive catchers ever. Basically, that is that has not been something they've done. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to assume they're going to do that. And I like him as really kind of a true platoon mate with Narvaez, and Nervais obviously would have the the big side of the platoon as the left-handed batter. But I think Severino is going to be able to hold down that lefty mashing side pretty well. He has looked good in camp with the bat. I think it's it's a fine, at worst, um, horizontal move and, you know, quite possibly an upgrade. Yeah, Um this I, I agree with Ryan completely. It's just one of it's like Packers and offensive linemen. It's just one of those areas that um, they seem to be able to create the defensive floor out of kind of anybody. It, it, people need to remember when Omar got here, um, he was regarded as one of the worst defensive catchers in the league, and he he like very quickly just shot up, uh, became one of the best defensive catchers in the league. It did maybe cost him a season of good offense. I guess that is a trade-off that we could maybe see exist when they put him through the, their paces in, uh, you know, in practice. Uh, it's probably too much to say that conclusively. Guys slump sometimes. Um, but uh, this is, as we will say many times on the show, I'm sure, a very Brewers move. move. They picked an offensive skill set. They saw something they could improve. They bought him for cheap uh, because they saw that they, they could improve it, and they probably will improve it. And um, he is, uh, we'll also say this a lot on the show, 
he is a lefty masher. The Brewers have a lot of lefty mashers on yep. the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, lef- Lefty's going to have some trouble with the Brewers lineup this year. Um, d- just uh, last year, he had an 818 OPS against them. He got on base at a 342 clip, which is nice because the Brewers need on base more than probably anything else and hit for power. Um, he will be more than serviceable in a platoon with Narvaez, and you can't really ask more than that. Catchers, by their nature, have to split time to some extent anyway it's a grueling position and you have to rest your guys to keep them good if you can rest them in such a way as to maximize the you know an offensive skill set for both of them to create one super good player that's the best thing you can do and this that's what they have here that they can do with that yeah kind of an ideal world is if you have a good starting catcher that you like who's left-handed and then back him up with a right-handed uh, a right-handed backup. That's perfect because it's it hits about the exact split you want, which is about two thirds, one third, you know, or three quarters to to one quarter, somewhere in that neighborhood of of time split uh, at the position. So it's just about perfect to work it out that way, and hopefully they continue to do that because it is really uh, advantageous. Absolutely, yeah. and I, I'm kind of optimistic about the Severino edition personally. You know, Paul pointed out the lefty mashing tendencies. I think that fills in nicely for the lefty mashing you lost with Manny Pena. You know, he wasn't an, a huge offensive threat by any means, but he was an excellent defensive catcher, and he could, you know, pull one out on lefties every once in a while, and that's really what you want out of your backup catcher. So uh, maybe, if anything, uh, little bit of an offensive upgrade over Manny Pena, at least based on the on base numbers. And if they can coach up the defense, awesome. And if not, like Ryan said, he's only getting one out of three starts. So uh, maybe you punt that every once in a while just to get Narvaez some rest. Uh, we actually have a second question on the catching situation, and it's about third catchers. I love third catchers. <laughs> um, so Mark Hotskarby is asking, who's the third catcher now? Is it Brett Sullivan, who the Brewers signed in the offseason, or Mario Feliciano, a prospect we've been talking about for a while, Ryan? Yeah, I'm going to go with Sullivan because, especially early in the season, Sullivan has proven things that Feliciano has not. Feliciano really needs to do a lot to regain his status from last year. And actually, a friend of mine asked me this today. Like, are we just done with Feliciano? And I said, no, you never write off catchers, especially young catchers. Mario Feliciano is 23 years old. Like, you do not write off catchers. God, I mean, Manny Pena didn't become a thing until he was almost 30. And that's not uncommon for catchers. It takes a long time to master all those skills. And so just, yeah, with with any catcher, with any situation like that, you just got to be patient. I mean, they take forever. Yeah, that's all true. And it's also it's third catcher. So, I mean, sometimes it matters, but hopefully it doesn't. Uh, And when it does, it's often just a cup of coffee. So it I mean, maybe Mario will get himself together and earn that cup of coffee. But Ryan's right. It won't be right away. Uh, there's work to do with him first and uh you know any third catcher at this point is just going to be um hold down the fort while we fix the situation kind of thing you know your jet bandies of the world kind of thing so that's uh, uh i love the jet bandy reference all, all third yes. catchers are exactly yeah i i mean i I don't see a situation right now where the brewers really need one it's not like they're gonna carry a third catcher willingly right now you know mm-hmm. so in the case that omar gets hurt or something like that i i have a decent amount of confidence that severino could at least just kind of get by yeah for the 10 or 14 days or whatever it is uh and but yeah ryan's right feliciano still has some things to work out 
if you know you get your your brett sullivan's as the jet bandy this year fine whatever um it's not going to matter too much because we're probably not going to see uh either one of those guys very much at all right and Um, if you're looking at something longer term you're looking at a trade so that's you know that that's how that's going to go right exactly all right uh moving on to a position i'm actually still kind of nervous about uh first base so roddy telez uh He's been doing okay this spring, did okay last year when the Brewers brought him in after a really slow start in Toronto. But, you know, this is kind of a position that's kind of stunk, basically, for the Brewers for years. <laughs> uh, you know, outside of those those one-year, you know, surprise seasons from like a Jesus Aguilar or somebody like that, it, it, it's been really hard for the Brewers to find consistency here, let alone uh, the kind of offense that you want out of a first baseman, right? So... Um, I guess, Paul, let's start with you on this one. Is is Rowdy actually kind of a viable option to you? And if not, who's next? Because the Brewers don't have a whole <laughs> lot behind him. Um, I think he's a viable option because he's kind of the option at this point. Um, and uh, we should mention a couple things. One, Rowdy Telez is not old. Um, he no. is, he's been around, but he's a relatively young player. Um, he's entering his age 27 season. Um he is weird. Um, usually, your big, hunky, lefty power hitters, uh, they come with pretty dramatic platoon splits. He doesn't have them, never really has. Um, he hits lefties and righties pretty evenly. Um, I wish he hit them, I wish he hit one of them a little better, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, that does give you something. It shows that he actually has good, um, good bat contact. Uh, he uh, is not just helpless against lefties, he should be better against righties but he, whatever um but uh i i agree with james here because i don't think the ceiling on rowdy's that high maybe he gets it together maybe he starts hitting some dead pole power and crushing a whole bunch out he had a good season last year um so it's not like it's all bad but i do feel like he is sort of the the typical brewer like bring in jesus see what happens bring in Vogelbach, see what happens um hopefully he's a little better than that but you know as far as first baseman go his numbers look kind of like a second baseman um, and uh, it, he's not bad, but he's not good at defense and, uh, you could do better. I, know, I, I wish the Brewers would do better at this position because one thing we've, we've done a lot of these previews now. And one thing we always say is, oh, you can always go find a first baseman. And that's kind they of, haven't. it's kind they of haven't. true because you can, you can find Jesus Aguiar out there to be good for a couple of weeks, but they haven't found a good steady first baseman. It just hasn't happened. So, uh, if you can, they should, and they haven't. And, you know, if Keston is uh, truly sort of the other option here at the moment, uh, Prospectus projects him to have the second most time at first base amongst current Brewers. And I think that there'll be other people there. I think that Yelich will play there. I suspect Renfro will play there. A lot of other guys, I think, will play there. But uh, that's not a great backup plan. And anybody else who plays there isn't playing somewhere else. So um, they're counting on a lot going right here. I think they're counting on Tellez having a better season than last season. But uh, it's not great. It's definitely one of, if not the weakest positions on the diamond for them. Yeah, that's all true. I think Tellez is a little bit underrated. I think that they particularly think there's an upswing here and that there's upside that perhaps other people aren't. And I know that the fantasy community, I listen to a ton of fantasy podcasts these days, and they've all sort of adopted him as 
their perpetual guy that they think could do better if he actually gets playing time. And now this is finally the time when he figures to get playing time. He was having trouble with that in, in Toronto and he was able to get into that in Milwaukee. And there's no reason to think he's not going to get basically everyday playing time at this point. And I would take looking at just the, the various projections that are out there, looking at Pakoda zip steamer, they all sort of have him as basically like, a 260-ish, 330, uh, 460-ish hitter, uh, maybe with a little bit more upside on the on the slugging. And that's fine at first base. That's that's not going to win you games, but it's also not going to lose you games. That is going to be a perfectly cromulent first baseman, and <laughs> it's fine. Now, how well does that fit with their other roster construction? Like you could say, yeah, yeah they, they really would have benefited from somebody like Matt Olson to be a second lineup uh, anchor along with hopefully Yelich. We'll get there. Uh, but that's a difficult thing to pull off and look at what they gave up to get him. Look yeah, at what, yeah. I mean, that was an expensive, expensive move for Atlanta, not just in the extension that they gave him, which was sizable though, perfectly reasonable, uh, mm-hmm. But also just the amount of prospects that they gave up for him. They gave up a ton. So upgrading at first base is a little bit tricky. I think the thing is, it's very easy to find a, a relatively high floor at first base. You can just kind of shuffle around and find a relatively reasonable floor at first base. But finding a true exceptional first baseman, that is a lot harder. And yep. they, they they clearly haven't done it yet, though I I, I would give Rowdy, you know, a, a, a 10, 15, 20% chance of being a true breakout player this year for them. So, it, it, you know, it, it's not nothing. I wouldn't you know, bet the house on it, but I think there's there's a decent chance that he does that. So I don't think I do not think first base is going to be the reason that this team doesn't <laughs> succeed. We'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. It's not a bad place to suck. Um, it's just. <laughs> yeah, I think the point, nice though, that. <laughs> yeah, if if everywhere else on the offense is kind of meh and you have a meh first baseman, I think yeah. that's kind of the part of the problem, right? And, and we can get into that a little bit more as we get in these other positions. So I guess that's where I'm kind of down on Rowdy. Like, fine, he's like a 780 OPS guy or whatever. Like, okay, fine, he's producing enough. But is that enough when you factor in the the sum of all the parts and right. I guess well, we'll get there. It was clearly a position that they could have upgraded in the winter and they chose not to. So from that perspective, it was like, I guess you could say it's like an opportunity missed, but it may not end up being that bad it, it, when it all works out in the wash anyway. So like, yeah, they, this was a spot they could have upgraded and they, they chose not to, but Rowdy is probably an underrated option. As far as you know, your your standard Brewer fan opinion of him, he's probably a little bit underrated. Sure, uh, with the potential to be the hometown favorite, clearly <laughs> if he does well. Yeah, right out of central casting. Makes me yeah. he is makes me wonder about the underrated a little bit. I mean, his name is Rowdy, and he looks like he's Rowdy, a, so yeah, he's a ball guy with a beard who hits home runs, and yeah. he's named Rowdy. That's that's a recipe for success in <laughs> Milwaukee. All right, uh, second base, Colton Wong, obviously uh, the starter there. And he was worth about three war last year, you know, kind of averaging the baseball reference and the fan graphs together. And he set a career high with 14 home runs last year, but he only played 116 games. So a, a lot of that, some of it was kind of bad luck, but other that also there was um, nagging injuries, that kind of thing. So I guess, you know, 
he's turning 31 this year. Ryan, are you worried about durability concerns there? And is there like a lack of depth up the middle we should be concerned about as well? No, I don't think so. I think they have it reasonably well covered because I'm higher on Jace Peterson than I guess most people are. And I think that they could potentially make some moves uh, to fill spots as the season goes on, especially at third base and second base if things don't work out there well that way. And if you need to basically slip him into a platoon, you can do that without too much trouble. It won't be Jace Peterson. Jace will have to play a lot more at third base in that case. And then it would be like Urias coming over and playing, you know, a, a, a sort of in a platoon situation. But I don't even think that's that's really the downside. I think the thing I want to highlight about Colton Wong, and that is the sort of thing that has been missed when all these national analysts, we're, we're going to get into this because all these things, like everybody's been very negative about the Brewers. Effectively, Wild was very negative. Baseball Perspectives was very negative, even though they like freely are like, oh, no, they're, they're clearly the favorite in the division. They're very good. Yep. But their offense is just kind of boring because they didn't upgrade it and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that has been missed about this and it doesn't get missed with the Cardinals. Everybody fawns over the Cardinals defense, and rightly so. It is probably the best defense in baseball. The Brewers are in the top three or four themselves. Mm-hmm. They have built a run prevention machine, and a big part of that is having really good defenders kind of all over the diamond. And mm-hmm. Colton Wong is a is a vital cog in that machine. Like he is an, an exceptional defender at second base. And so even though you may not get like Colton Wong as, say, your leadoff hitter may leave you a little bit like, that's not a great leadoff hitter. You kind of wish you'd had <laughs> maybe a better leadoff hitter than that. But Colton Wong as your second baseman with the defense and with everything that he brings to the table, that's a pretty damn good player. And so it, it, it in the end, when you take it all together, it works out just fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how you get three war in only 116 games, right, Paul? <laughs> yes, exactly. Colton Wong's just really good. Um, and I know that he might not be flashy or exciting, but we, we mentioned when the Brewers signed him because of his defense and above average bat at second base, he's perpetually a multi-war player and perpetually um, one of the better players on baseball. If he actually had a good offensive season, he would quickly round into like an MVP caliber guy. Um, and 30 is not that old. I don't think we should be that concerned about playing time because um it, it kind of depends on where you want to focus lack of depth. I would say third base is probably worse for the Brewers. Um, Luis Arias can play, I think, is his natural position, really, at second base. Um, and should he get hurt, that's fine. They have lots of options to step in at second base. Sec- second base is, frankly, not that hard. Um, Ricky Weeks played it for many, many years. It can't be that hard. Um, and uh, so, there you go, Andy. Um, Dude, yeah, Andy so. is so pissed at you right now. <laughs> <laughs> he knows about the defense. He'll be fine. Um <laughs> Colton Wong's just a really good, solid player to have and hits just fine for his position. So, um, he, I mean, he fits well with the team. He's lefty. Um, he hits it to the short porch. And, uh, yeah, there's not much more to say about him. He's just the kind of steady uh, veteran who, um, who does all the little things right that you need to have on a really good team. And mm-hmm. so uh, he's perpetually underrated and he shouldn't be um I, I don't think it's kind of i wish he was a little bit better uh, so he's a cardinal so no i don't but uh <laughs> i feel like in like a better run environment with his defense he, he maybe would be pushing like almost uh hall of fame levels with the defense and be one of those 
guys that we argue about is like, well, his defense was super awesome, even though his, his uh, offense was fringy. He's not quite there, but he, he will be a fun Hall of Very Good guy when he retires. Um, but uh, he's just an outstanding player who does all the things that nobody cares about. Yep. Yeah. I was surprised when I looked up, you know, doing some research for this. He, he's never made an all-star game, which kind of blew my mind a little bit, you know, considering the Cardinals cachet and all that stuff, too. But, like, I don't know. If, if he hits and he stays healthy the, this first half, maybe he's a, a good bet to get there this year. Um, all right. So going to his double playmates, the, the shortstop position, I think this is kind of an area where, a lot of people have focused in on as well, right? Because obviously the Willie Adamas trade last year really transformed the Brewers season. Uh, Might have saved it if you can save a season with a May trade. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, he was just phenomenal after coming over to the Brewers. And a lot of that's, you know, been attributed to getting out of Tropicana Field because, you know, famously he couldn't see there or whatever. And, you know, we've kind of talked about it and Paul, I know you kind of buy into it a little bit, but I guess how much of that is, is real or sustainable, you know, like we're talking about a half season here compared to maybe a a career thing. And, you know, some of those national podcasts that Ryan mentioned seem to be kind of skeptical on if Willie Adamas can do this over a full season. Yeah. So I think it's fair to be skeptical because, uh, first of all, it's, it's usually a mistake to think that any of your players are special just because they're yours. So um, we have the story on Willie Adamas, but I think it's reasonable to not project off of you know a slightly more than half season to all of a sudden greatness. Now that said, um, three-year weighted averages are good when the situation is pretty static. And um, in this case, the situation was not static. And it, it's not as if we didn't have the... Uh, when you're doing science, uh, you make a prediction in advance of the research. And then if you do the research and if if the prediction holds up uh, when you do the experiment, then you know it's more likely to be true or, or true. And here we had the batter's eye for Willie Adamas. And we always had the theory because of his home road splits. And then he got traded away from uh, Tampa and in Milwaukee, he hit like his road splits, which seems to be confirming the experiment. So in the one sense, on a normal three-year weighted mean, you would expect him to regress quite a bit this year. But on the other hand, um, considering his Tropicana road splits plus his Milwaukee time, you have both a pretty good sample of time away from his stupid batter's eye to confirm that the batter's eye was actually a problem for him. And um, I I think it's reasonable to be optimistic that Adamus will maintain that level of play going forward. He's in his prime. Um, he's not going to decline based on age at this point. And, um, you know, he seems to have taken to Milwaukee greats, uh, seems to be a clubhouse positive presence. And um, I, I think that it's very likely that he exceeds all of his projection system projections because of that factor. And uh, I, I'm willing to, you know, put money on that. I, I think here we have a good example of an actual change in circumstances that matters. Yeah, and just to put a finer point on what Paul said, I had the numbers. I had them all ready to go here. Um, his away career, which was uh, so a total of 855 plate appearances away from, well, whatever his home park was. Uh, he <laughs> hit 301, 371, 517 for his career. That's an 888 uh, OPS, which is yep. extremely good. That is a very, very good number. That puts him as one of the best hitting shortstops in the game. 
Mm-hmm. And his time with the Brewers last year after the trade, he hit 285, 366, 521, or an 896 OPS. <laughs> so he was basically the same guy, almost exactly, that he has been this entire time playing away from Tropicana Field. So I think there's no particular reason to think that that's not the guy he is. And it, it, he's still at a point in his career. He is not particularly old. Let me double check, but I think he's 25, right? This will, uh, yeah, 26, this 20, 26. He just turned 26. This is his 26th season. Um, it's also worth noting that his 2020 season with Tampa was also good. Uh, like there is a clear line of um, of improving, you know, improvement in his playing with Tampa, batter's eye notwithstanding. Um, he w- he started off kind of bad with them in 2021. Um, but in 2020, he was actually pretty darn good hitter, and he had improved from the, the year before. So this also looks pretty natural just in terms of his growth, too. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so any, any anybody seeing him in a decline, I think, is um, really just doing sort of math without context and maybe not even that great a math in the first place. Right, exactly. And the other thing that you could even point to, too, is maybe you would be skeptical of this because it was the Rays that traded him away and the Rays tend to do smart things. But then you look at the circumstances and say, well, the Rays did that because the Rays have the best young shortstop in baseball, uh, you know, I guess age 21 and under category. Um, (laughs) And so like Wander Franco was there. This is what they were doing. They were clearing space for him. And It just made a lot of sense. And they also were looking at the fact that he was headed into arbitration this year. And so he was going to start to cost them more money. And there's nothing that Tampa Bay likes more than saving money. So the Brewers were in the right place at the right time on this. And it is a huge credit to David Stearns that they, well, and Matt Arnold, who for let's give credit here. He probably had a lot to do with this because he was, I guess, instrumental in bringing in Willie Adamas to Tampa Bay in the first place. Mm -hmm. So all of this adds up and you say that like, this is a, this is why you, you want to have somebody like David Stearns and, and Matt Arnold running your team is because they find you Willie Adamas's and bring them to you. And that's wonderful. Right. And if, you know, Rowdy ends up being something too, it was sort of a similar situation, right? Like he had nowhere to play because Vladdy Jr. was at first base and DH was occupied because Toronto's just stacked. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, two trades and around the same time kind of identifying those opportunities of, of blocked talents yep. or soon to be shoved out talents in Willie's case. Um, I think a lot of the skepticism that maybe some people might have about the Brewers offense is just because like if the Brewers are going to be good, Willie Adamas is going to be good. Right. And if if you don't necessarily buy his production last year, uh, that kind of makes this year's offense a little bit more scary. Right, Paul? Like if, if he's yeah. not that kind of guy, then who's their big bat, you know? Yeah, it, it definitely hinges on him to a large extent. And so I kind of get the skepticism there. There's a lot of. Um, you know, interesting pieces, but your interesting pieces need some some cement underneath them. They they do. Um, and the Brewers have already had the the freak Yelich crash. Um, and they really do need Adamas to to be that guy. Uh, after that, it's a lineup that you can work through. Um, with some creative pitcher use without too much trouble. Um, it would be death to go into the playoffs without 
um, at least a couple of guys who can do damage, you know, not with platoon splits <laughs> and, and, and damage actually actual good pitching and, and you know, power, uh, you know, add power without gimmicks. And they, they really only have Adamas to do that unless they get some bounce backs from other people that we'll get to later. Um, but yeah, if, if he is bad, they will have major problems on offense. All right, moving to third base then, and sort of uh, Willie Adamas' little brother, as it kind of played out last year, Luis Urias, the, the bond between those guys, awesome to see. Uh, Urias seemed like a lock for the third base spot this spring, but he hurt his quad in spring training, and he's still kind of struggling with that because quad injuries can be annoying like that, and he won't be ready for opening day. So I guess... Again, going back to the skepticism about this offense, if if Urias isn't at third base, I, I think suddenly this lineup looks a lot different as well. So I guess, Ryan, how, how does this look different or from a quality standpoint if he's not in the lineup? I know you're a big Jace Peterson guy, and I imagine he's kind of the guy that we'll see there slotted in more. But are, are you worried about the lineup as a whole if Urias is missing significant time? Yeah, he is important to the offense, and I think he is one of their best shots at like a true uh, breakout in 2022. So I think that he offers, even though he did kind of have like a true breakout in 2021, I guess not a fully fledged breakout. I think there were still some things people want to see more batting average from him because of the vaunted 70 hit grade on his, uh, his hit tool, but <laughs> I thought it was 80 hit tool, Ryan. It was 80. Oh hit yeah. Tool. It was 80 hit tool. Okay. Everybody yeah. drink. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that was, <laughs> so that was people talked about, does he have an 80? Like it, there was that debate of like, is it an 80 or is it not? Okay. So anyway, but I think people were actually putting 70s on it. And then he's never really been that player because he decided in 2019 before the trade to start trying to hit for power. And so he he reframed his game. And I think that he is important for that. I don't think we can get... I think it's a good idea right now to freak out too much about him missing a ton of time. This is not good. The uh, The lingering sort of muscle injury like this is... It's not great. You don't You don't like to see it. But... It's also not uh, anything that we have to like think that uh, like there was a precedent for it. We're not we're not looking at like a recurring injury here yet. So <laughs> hopefully. So I, I guess we we wait and we hope. But yeah, he is going to be an important piece of this offense because they're counting on him to provide a you know, pretty substantial amount of power. Yeah. So. Everything Ryan said is absolutely true. And um, I don't want to sound like I'm about to rip on Luis Urias. Let me say right up, he was excellent last year. He was a two and a half win player last year. And those don't grow on trees. Um, it was, I think, kind of a breakout for him. But he is also a little bit of the problem with their offense in a nutshell, because I do think he slots in much better as a natural second baseman, where his his offensive profile plays way up. Um, you know, Colton Wong is entrenched there and should be. Um, but he is a third. He is a excellent second baseman playing third base, and you know you can get you know corner corner power at third base that he doesn't really provide. He's a good hitter. He's not a great hitter. He, he is a you know under 800 OPS player. He does a lot of things well, um, but uh, it, it's it is one of their problems that they don't have big boppers. They have um, even Rowdy, but they have they have little up the middle guys playing across the infield and they're all good but uh there's too many of them um so uh they don't have anybody better to play third base than him and he will do uh, you know at least an, an average if not better job there 
Um, but he is sort of one of the issues with the Brewer offense, generally speaking. Um, that's a not too not too worried about. Uh, I don't. I also agree. He's young. I don't think he's particularly injury prone. Players have nagging injuries once in a while. I think he'll be fine. I think he's a good offensive player and a good defensive player, and will make the offense you know at least averagey. So that's good. But uh, I think in the future they may actually improve a little bit when Colton moves on and he moves to second, and they can actually pursue a bigger bat there. Yeah, I think maybe you feel better about their corner infield offense situation if you were pairing either one of them with a better version of the other one, if that makes sense. Like, just take, <laughs> it does. Like, like the Oakland guys, like if you were pairing Luis Urias with Matt Olson, you'd feel really, really good about that duo. Or if you were pairing, say, Rowdy Telez with Matt Chapman, you'd feel yep. you know pretty damn good about that duo too. But having both of them there leaves you, it, it's a little bit more question marky than you would like to see. But then again, that's kind of what David Stearns does. And he he then builds in redundancy into the system and gets guys to back that up. There's Mike Brousseau sitting around kind of waiting there and potentially right. as a as a guy to to add to this mix. You have Keston Hira going back to the first base side of worth, things. He could worth worth dropping it. in. Uh pa- Pablo Reyes uh has an eight forty OPS against lefties, uh and one of the many lefty mashers on the team that can also step in, at least in a limited role. So So yeah, they've built in redundancy here and they they've given themselves options and they've also given themselves potential places to upgrade on the trade market over the summer should things take that turn. So I don't think either of these situations are bad situations. They're just not like the ideal. It, it's it's nothing that gets anybody excited, but <laughs> it it it's right. a perfectly and I'm going to use the word again because it's an awesome word. Uh, it's a perfectly cromulent corner infield situation mm-hmm. to have. It's just not exciting. Mm. Yep, perfectly cromulent crew. The 22 Brewers. That's that's great. I love it. Um, yeah, I think that's maybe something too that a lot of these you know national season previews kind of maybe overlook right they're looking at the rosters on opening day and very few if any teams are going to have the same team this week that they are in august right so i think yeah like we we talked last week right mark alanasio said there's room in the budget to to kind of make these upgrades too and in kind of feels like sometimes David Stearns and Matt Arnold kind of reserve a spot or two on the roster to see, you know, give this guy a chance. And then if, if not, then we can always go and find somebody. Um, Because again, like the free agent market for third baseman or first baseman wasn't exactly uh, booming, at least at the level that the Brewers play at. So it's not something like there was an obvious you know, choice there that they passed up on. So I, I, I think everybody kind of agreed too that Urias deserved the chance to stick at third base and see what happens. But mm-hmm. and he may be the long term second baseman because Colton Wong has an option year next year, and then his his contract's over with the Brewers. So I wouldn't expect him to stay past that point. So yep. maybe Urias does slide back to second base and they do something different. Giving themselves options is the way that David Stearns does business. Yeah. I think that is what happens, by the way. I think that's where he lands eventually when Colton's time is done. All right. Uh, moving on to the, I guess, biggest question mark on the roster. Ugh. And uh, let's just go around the outfield and let's start with left field. And that's going to be Christian Yelich. So obviously we've talked at length over the last couple of years about the problems Christian Yelich has been experiencing. Kind of a, just a mind-blowing 
collapse. There's really no better word for that in terms of what we've seen in production. I think maybe only rivaled by like Cody Bellinger, who is definitely not looking like a major league baseball player this spring either. At least Christian has. Um, but yeah, so a lot of the questions about the Brewers offense obviously stem back to him, right? They they've depended on him to be if not that MVP caliber, at least an all-star left fielder, and he hasn't even been that. So, uh, of course, we got some questions on this. Brian Polakowski on Patreon asking, I think we all assume that Yelich is the everyday left fielder. Is it fair to expect him to be the non-2020 and non-2021 version of himself <laughs> all year in 2022? So I, I think it, it's a little unfair to expect him to be the, you know, Barry Bonds level 2018, 2019 Christian Yelich ever again, right? But Paul, can he get at least to that, you know, all-star, borderline all-star production level again? So I wouldn't actually count that out. I, I still subscribe to Yelich's problems being much more mental than physical. And while he's not a young man anymore, he's also not old. Um, I think that the, uh, this is all speculation, but uh, vastly changing their hitting philosophy in the organization, uh, if it's going to help anybody drastically and immediately, it is Yelich, um, who clearly needs just a rebuild, uh, I think both mentally and getting that swing back to normal. So um, I think, you know, that bat's still in there. If they can coax it out of him, if they can get him over his knee, if they can um, get him elevating the ball just a little bit more. I mean, one of the things that Yelich can do, even aside from all of the, uh, you know, the, the broken knee and all the issues we've seen is he's never had a great launch angle. He has always been a guy who is more likely to hit the ball into the ground than a lot of people with similar offensive uh, production. And you can change that aside from everything else. You can start to work on him elevating the ball better. Um, if you can do that, he'll he'll drive the ball out more because he still has a good exit velocity. He still makes good contact. His barrels are way down. That's a problem. But his barrels are way down because he hits the ball down too much and he hits too many line drives. So um, there are some things you can get into the equation here to turn him back into an MVP caliber player pretty quickly. He just has to be able to execute them. Um, it's all about whether he can do that. And nobody knows because his problem is weird. Uh, mm -hmm. Nobody knows exactly what's wrong with him. I have my theory, of course, but I have no way to know if that's true or not. I have nobody to tell me and nobody in the organization will ever give that away. Um, but uh, it, it all depends on somebody figuring him out and somebody getting him to get the ball in the air more than before. He, he's still pretty fast. His base running um, metrics are still good. He looks bad in the outfield, but that's actually been the case for quite a few years now. So um, I, I think there, I don't think there's reason to be particularly optimistic or pessimistic because there's so much unknown about Yelich. Um, and I would view you know, this team has been good when he has been pedestrian. If they can turn him around, they will be excellent. Um, but if he still struggles and he's still like a hundred um, OPS plus guy, whatever he is, 100, 110, um, you know, they can work with that. So um, what you want to avoid is a complete collapse. Then you got major problems, but he's still providing at least some value. Upside is still there. Um, as uh, Prospectus mentions, and as, as Jonathan Judge mentioned to me last time I talked to him, uh, pitchers still fear him. Uh, he mm -hmm. still puts up good on-base numbers. People do not challenge him in the zone. And so um, there's reason to believe that there is still something there that pitchers are seeing that they're afraid of. So if you want to be optimistic based on that, fine. If you want to be pessimistic based on the last two years, 
Also fine. Won't know until this starts. I don't even know where I'd place my bet right now. I think, <laughs> I think given that they actually have overhauled the hitting program on the Brewers, I think that there's a chance we start to see him um, come out of this a little bit. Um, I think he needs a, a boost of creativity from their hitting coaching. And I think that injecting new people into the process um, is a good way to go about getting that doesn't always work sometimes you hire bad people but uh i think there's at least a better than average chance that they figure him out at least a little bit so i will say that there's a decent chance he is above his last two years just don't know how substantial. i'm not going to bet him to go all-star again but i won't be that surprised if it happens i mean the projections on him are remarkably consistent with each they other are you they look hit. at like what what steamer says it is a 259, 374, 63 guy. Zip says 268, 374, 481. Pakoda was right in that same neighborhood. I they, don't have it. They all see that. On, they all see the on-base percentage, and they all see the same thing about it. It's mm-hmm. the most confounding thing about Yelich. It's bizarre. Yep. And I think that I've I've mentioned this before, and I am going to stick with it. Hopefully, there's a lot of new listeners to this because we'd like to have new listeners. So if, <laughs> by the way, if you are a person who has listened to this podcast for a long time, recommend us to a friend, especially for the season preview episode, uh, yes. so that they can hear what I'm about to say uh, instead of you hearing it for like the fourth time, which is I think if you take Yelich's down year in 2020 – and take that power that he still had because he was still going to hit over a full season that year, like 30 home runs. It's just that the rest of the numbers kind of collapsed around it. And then you take last year where the power vanished, but actually the contact was fine and the the on-base percentage was great. Like that, that all was still good. If you take those two and sort of mush them together and say, that's like the player he's going to be is the, the sort of the best parts of his 2020 and the best parts of his 2021 then that's basically exactly what these projections all are all calling for is almost exactly that player, which is still a far cry from the, you know, the, the 174 WRC plus monster he was in 2019. But if he goes and puts out a, what they're projecting, either a 122 or a 127, which is about 25% above league average. Great. That is going to play very well in this lineup. And I think they will be, uh, Assuming everything else doesn't collapse around it, they're going to be fine for the division. Yeah, I still part of me still thinks, despite what the organization was saying, I still think he was playing through some sort of injury or discomfort with the back or whatever last year, because that to me is the only way you can really make sense of the power just vanishing the way it did. You know, it, like it is, it's worth mentioning he his numbers in 2021 were. Uh, his behind-the-scenes numbers worse than they had been in 2020 and before. Like his his barrel uh, percentage was down to 7.6 from 12, 15, and 12. Um, his exit velocity was was down to 91 from 94, 93 the previous seasons, which isn't a huge drop, but it's it's still a significant drop. So there's also there's definitely worrying signs in his 2021 uh, aside from everything else, and I think injuries may be a good explanation for that. Aging probably is too, um, and that's all. That's something to also worry about, right? Like I, you and I have both said, Paul, nobody's ever had a bad yeah. back. You know, once you have a bad back, you have a bad back, and that's kind of concerning for somebody just starting his thirties in a hundred million dollar contract. That's when it gets you. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, it just so much of this team comes down to Yelich, and it, I think that also explains a lot of the skepticism that maybe I have about this offense yeah. as well. Because, Absolutely. 
like it's just so hard to imagine a scenario where he suddenly bounces back after and it's recency bias because we've had a year and a half of just seeing crap but man ryan is it easy or not easy but is it still imaginable that he can bounce back yeah i mean well but that's the thing when you talk about like so much of this team comes down to yelich well yeah that's what happens when you give a guy a 200 million dollar contract like yep. you're Correct. making the bet yes. on that guy and so you kind of need him to be better than what he was last year but you also know that that's kind of how these things go guys have ups and downs in their careers and so you can't necessarily plan for every single up and down in the the, the cycle but yeah, like if they if Christian Yelich is just like perpetually now like an average-ish hitter, um, it's gonna be tough for the next eight years. Like they're gonna have to work around that. That's going to be a thing that they are going to have to deal with, and it's not going to be ideal. So, but it, that's part of the deal that you you get in when you make these long-term deals with a guy. You're kind of like wedding your future to their production and hoping that it all works out. Fingers crossed. And we were all super excited about that deal when it got. Uh, got signed and yeah yeah like so this is this is the part that goes with it like now you worry because you wonder if he's going to be able to regain not the mvp form necessarily but just like a really good above average all-star sort of player form again and we we just we can't answer that we just have to wait and see like everybody else Mm -hmm. yeah they'll definitely have to work around that contract if it continues this way but I'd like to remind myself that there's no such thing as an untradeable contract in baseball because Matt Kemp got traded twice when he was pure garbage. So there's that as well. It's just what you have to give up to kind of dump the contract too. But hopefully that's not a conversation we have to have with Christian Yelich for, you know, yep. four or five more years. Hopefully we're <laughs> so. not. Keep Dick Monfort on speed dial for 2025. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine Christian Yelich and Chris Bryant and Coors Field, Dick? Man. Get on that. All right. Mm. Uh, <laughs> all right. Moving on to center field really quickly. Uh, obviously, Lorenzo Kane, uh, the starter there, but he is, uh, you know, uh, long tenured. <laughs> Let's put that uh, politely. He, he's he's very old, um, but, you know, played well still last year when he was on the field, but obviously, uh, similarly to some of the other older players on the team, you know, durability may be an issue and the Brewers may have to do more cycling in and out, uh, to kind of cover those. So, uh, first of all, I guess we have a Patreon question from Mark Podscarby asking about Paul's favorite Tyrone Taylor, uh, <laughs> asking, does Tyrone do enough this year to claim the center field job going into next year? Once Lorenzo Kane retires, which he has hinted that this could be his last season, Paul. Yeah, so I, Tyrone has um, proven to be quite a bit better than I have ever given him credit for, but I don't really think he's an everyday player. He, I think, well, first of all, he is primarily a righty masher or a lefty pitcher masher. Sorry, offensively, um, he is. Oh, he's been okay against same side pitching, not terrible, but he he's really a platoon guy, and he's stretched in center field. Um, not a lot of defensive metrics like him. I don't think any do. Prospectus mm. in particular despises him there. Um, and he's getting a little, he's not old. He's, he's going into his age 28 season, I think, but uh, he's never, he's always been a, a fringy center fielder to start with. And he has not gotten better over time. Um, he is, I think at this point, really a platoon corner, fourth outfielder, fifth outfielder backup. 
and uh, he should not be your everyday center fielder. Um, the Brewers rely on their center fielder to do a lot. When Lorenzo Cain is out there, he really, really helps the corners out a lot, and uh, you, they, they will suffer for having less than stellar defense out there. And Jackie Bradley Jr. sucked something horrible on offense, but at least he could man the position out there, and I think that they benefit from having a guy like that more than having a half-thumper. So no, Tyrone is not the answer there next season, and uh, while he, he has his role, he's good at something, He's just he, he's not a center fielder anymore if he ever was. Yeah, I'm fine with having him be your backup center fielder. I'm not fine with having him be your everyday center fielder. I think the ideal role for him is a guy that plays every day, every single day that there's a lefty and gets an at-bat. Anytime there's a lefty in a late-game situation, if he's on the bench, you want him in there to potentially crush a lefty. Yeah. That's his role, and that's fine. Not every player needs to be a, you know, everyday stalwart player and I know people want that to be the case but it it probably just isn't realistic we've seen enough from Tyrone Taylor he's already sort of exceeded most of our expectations (laughs) at this point now you want him to continue to exceed that like at some point you just sort of say okay this is it's fine he's useful in this role and that's where he is an above average player if you ask him to do more than that if you ask him to be a 600 plate appearance everyday center fielder you're going to expose that defense and you are going to expose uh, just, you know, the deficiencies against good right-handed pitching as it is. He doesn't need to play against good right-handed pitchers basically ever right now. And that's ideal for him. That's what you want is to not have to have him face good right-handed pitching, crappy right-handed pitching. Great. Left-handed pitching. That's where you want him. That is, that is the ideal role, but yeah, you just don't want to have him be overexposed. And so just plan on having him be a good, useful kind of uh, rotational guy who can play, you know, three, 400 at-bats a year and play all over the outfield, and that's fine for him. All right, shifting now to right field, and this is actually, you know, another interesting position here for the Brewers. They, of course, before the lockout uh took place they swung a trade they got rid of jackie bradley jr's contract uh if we're being accurate and uh got hunter renfro from the boston red sox to slide into right field um so i think this is a a guy again kind of the theme that we established with a lot of these other positions hits lefties really really well Uh righties uh, (laughs) uh has a rocket arm in right field but um you know defensive metrics are a little bit all over the place on him a little bit so definitely uh a flawed player i think is the nice way to say it but uh one that could be a very valuable to the brewers as well just a very brewers e pickup uh so i guess paul the the question i have for you is 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 he actually an offensive upgrade in the outfield or is he just basically there to backfill the production that they lost with avi garcia I think he's actually a slight upgrade. Um, I, I, I maybe like Hunter Renfro a little bit better than a lot of people, um, but uh, he's played. If you look at his career numbers uh, for all the teams, he's been with the Padres and the Rays, um, and his hitting numbers were mostly pretty pedestrian with them. Those are big parks, um, and you know, always worth looking at DRA for these kinds of things when you get guys who are with big parks. Uh, is with Boston immediately before the Brewers, where he hit quite well which is a much smaller park, um, slugged 501. 
um, and has you know good platoon splits to work with as well, as James mentioned. Also worth noting, um, prospectus, uh, you know, everybody's defensive metrics do you know a couple things good, a couple things bad. It's hard to have good all-encompassing ones. Um, prospectuses are uh, actually a little bit weak on the infield, sometimes great at catcher for obvious reasons, but they they tend to be very good on outfield defense. And so I do trust them a little more compared to a lot of the other defense metrics available on the outfield, where he ranks as an excellent outfielder. That arm, I think, is one of the big reasons why. But I do think they'll get a slight defensive upgrade out of Renfro and pretty good hitting, maybe maybe better than uh, AV hitting. Now, they got a good season out of AV, so maybe not. But um, I think, if, no, if nothing else, they'll be his equal, which is perfectly good because that was a good player that they had. But I think maybe has some potential to exceed him as well. So I like the Renfro signing. It's not that flashy. He's not a great player, but he's a pretty good player. And I think in Miller Park, um, with that gun, uh, has the potential to be a you know a slightly better player even than than he has been in his career so far. I mean, last year with the Red Sox, he put up a 112 OPS plus, which was his best since 2018 with the Padres when he put up a 120. His down years kind of are like in 2020, and I don't even want to really talk about that because it's such a small sample but tampa tampa batters i got him too probably yeah i mean to a certain extent (laughs) it probably did as well i just i wonder about the the where the range here is for him and i think that obviously garcia's 117 ops plus last year is kind of the high end of what you could potentially expect for him like that is the highest reasonable place i could go with him and i see a lot more downside below that than I do upside for him. So I guess I'm I'm considerably more down on him than you are. I don't think he's going to be a disaster. I think he's going to be fine. I think you're going to get you know, professional plate appearances from him, and maybe his spot is a spot where they could look to upgrade as the season wears on if they need to get some left-handed power injected into this lineup. Maybe you do that in right field, and that's part of the 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 midseason adjustments that you make if you need to add that specific thing so I don't know I'm I'm not the biggest Hunter Renfro guy in the world but it's also it's fine and really they didn't dump Renfro for Bradley Jr. that was almost like two separate transactions in one yeah they got Renfro in that deal for like Alex Benellis and and those guys, and then the 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 salary dump was like an extra part of that. So, sure, I don't know. I, this is probably as good a time as any to talk about the, the lefty mashing, just level of this lineup because I feel like it almost is at the level of a plan at this point. And you know, I haven't broken down the rest of the division or their opponents in great enough detail, but um, they. They should destroy left-handed pitching this year. Um, well, that's unfortunate left- because there's only like two projected left-handed starters in the division right now. <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> I was say, we're gonna get to that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that I don't know. But clearly, it was something that they identified as a weakness, right? And and mm-hmm. whether it was or either a weakness of the team or a way to exploit somehow. But I I, I don't know. You got me. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe it, are there a lot more left-handed late-inning relievers they're hoping to take advantage? Maybe of? that's I it. Don't Maybe know. they're just hoping to. To come back late, <laughs> you got me. It's weird. Um, it is very strange, but I think it's it's mostly a reaction to just being so bad against left-handed 
pitching last year that they didn't want to leave themselves with that. And they knew they were bringing back the core of their left-handed hitting in Yelich, Tellez, uh, Narvaez, and Wong. They were bringing back that crew. They knew that was coming. They knew they needed to replace Narvaez's bat and they wanted to, to add to it. So I think it's a, it's a correction to last year. I think you could maybe argue it's an (laughs) overcorrection, Yeah, but we'll see. I mean, I far be it from me to, to shit on David Stern's moves because the man's a lot smarter than I am. So whatever. All right. I guess uh, while we're still having the outfield conversation, we have another Patreon question. It comes from Nick H. He's asking, what are your thoughts on David Dahl at 28 years old? I can't help feeling like that guy has some good baseball left in him. Where do you think he stands on the minor league replacements depth chart? So uh, this is, you know, kind of an under the radar, uh, you know, minor league signing, I believe that the Brewers made and, you know, David Dahl had some uh, decent performances with Colorado earlier in his career, but just could never seem to stay healthy and really live up to that, that promise. Right, Ryan. So I guess, where do you see him fitting in, in the Brewers plans? David Dahl was an all-star in 2019. Now I know that feels like a long time ago and, you know, my mind. it was a pandemic. It was like the one year ago. he stayed healthy, right? Yeah. yeah it, I, well, he stayed healthy through the All Star appearance, and then I think things went to shit in the second half for him. Yeah. But he was he was trending to be good, and then injuries have really, really hampered him since then. Like he has been, he has not played, and when he has played, he has been awful. So that part of it is interesting. He is an interesting guy because not that long ago, he's not old. He's 28 years old and not long ago, he looked like he was going to be an above average big league hitter and you'd be more than capable of carrying a, an outfield corner for a decent, uh, for a decent big league team, which Colorado surprisingly was back then. It yep. wasn't that long ago. So yeah, that's, that's all kind of fine, but I don't know to put the, the pop, the probabilities on that is really hard because I'm not a doctor and I don't have access to his medical situation. I think this all comes down to medicals. Uh, not sure it all comes down to medicals. So it, it yes, he was an all-star, but he was an all-star with a, a 111 OPS plus and an 877 OPS in, in Coors Field, which is for an outfielder, not great. You know, it's okay, but it's not great. And that was, that season really does stand out as an outlier, especially in terms of his on-base skill. Um, so I, that all said, like we're, n- none of us are expecting David Dahl to suddenly become an all-star. That's not the point here. Um, the point is, is there are there any skills in there that you can still harness um, to actually, you know, get some production out of him? Not he might still have. He is he's still a a young-ish player. He's not young, but he's not old either. And um, he clearly has at least some offensive skills that might be worth trying to fix. Um, but I temper my excitement a little bit. Uh, Rocky numbers are always a little bit sketchy. And the Rockies do a number on you, too. Like, you spend enough time there um, with the the muscle memory developed hitting pitching in Colorado. Sometimes it takes people longer to develop the outside skills once they leave. That place sucks. Um, so, um, And who knows? He may have heard himself doing laundry in there in their basement also, of their stadium yes. too. So like also, God knows I mean, what would actually hurt him. The, the Rockies basically operate like the Cleveland Indians in major league in terms of <laughs> they do keeping people healthy and, and sophistication of the organization. So that's entirely possible as well. Um, but uh, you know, 
he's he's a guy that maybe has some things he can fix, but I I don't I'm not counting on too much out of him. I wish he was a couple years younger and hadn't spent four years hitting in in Denver, which is terrible. Well, maybe he could take some plate appearances at DH. So I think that's a nice <laughs> little segue to our our brand new DH section of this uh, preview. So I think a lot of us are basically under the assumption that Keston Hira probably going to be a guy taking a lot of uh, ABs there. Also, of course, they signed Andrew McCutcheon with the idea being that he takes a lot of the playing time there as well. Although, just like everybody else, would much rather see him against left-handed pitching than right-handed yeah. pitching. So should, we'll... should really quick sneak in D- David Dahl, one of the rare guys who actually is really good against right-handed pitching in his career. So may, may have go. a role just for that. <laughs> there you go. So maybe he slides in there. Uh, so yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I guess, you know, we we've talked about kind of how we see the DH plate appearances breaking down, but um, you know, McCutcheon great signing i think in in my view uh at least you know interesting signing but i think the real story to follow here is going to be uh the resurgence of keston Hira. if there is one i'm trying really hard not to get too <laughs> excited about spring training you know obviously as we talked about uh last week ryan and i the the, the early results being promising are a good thing you don't want a guy to get discouraged right away when he's tinkering with the swing so that's very nice to see. And our DH question comes from PJ Wessels, and it is about Keston Hira. So he's asking, is Keston the backup first base DH by default, or is he going to have to earn it, or uh, is he going to get beat out by somebody else? I guess, Ryan, what's your read on the situation as of now? I mean, I think it's McCutcheon's role to start the season. I think Hira's going to have to be fit in in sort of various places in the lineup. I think they're going to try to stick him in, uh, you know, on McCutcheon's off days at DH. And maybe they try to get Kutch into the field a couple days a week to to try to give Hira even more chances there. And I think they're also going to try to get Hira in at first base some as well. And maybe also we'll see Hira in left field. They're going to try to get him worked in so that he gets played appearances early on in the season. But... I think we have to be we have to be careful and we need to be realistic. We're now looking at through 30 plate appearances in spring training. I don't know if he had any today, but uh, he has 10 strikeouts in 30 plate appearances. Yep. And so that's, you know, now we're we're looking (laughs) again at, yeah, like a 33 percent strikeout rate now. That's fine. Like you can do that. He, He has been successful with high strikeout rates in the past, but. It, it, it's not a great harbinger, especially when you consider the, the strength of the competition that he's faced. So sure. I think and we that need... number has gone up significantly in the last week since we talked, Ryan. So yeah, it's also, uh, it, yeah, we're it's talking small sample sizes, right? Yeah, exactly. It's small sample sizes, but I think we need to slow our roll on the, the casting hero thing. And we all hope that this is it. And he could also progress and get better. Like there can be pro- progression and movement forward for him. But I think we need to be, kind of a little bit skeptical and say, okay, there's probably, we're probably not seeing the resurgence of uh, 2019 Keston Hira here. And uh, that sucks, but it is what yeah. it is. Yep. And I, that's, that's my problem with expectations for Keston Hira is I'm really looking at, at the strikeout rate more than anything else because yeah, you can be better. You can do more with the contact you make, but 
you really have to make contact at a certain level to be a functional major league player, and he's not really there. And he's always going to be subject to just massive swings in production but it, without being able to put the ball in play that much. So I'd love – it's a small sample size. He might get better. I, I hope he does. And he has rocked the ball when he's hit it, and that's all true. But uh, I think we got to see more of this before we decide everything's fixed and he's better. Uh, it's uh, it, His fundamental problem – it still seems to be there. And, uh, you know, there are people to play all of the roles that he can potentially play at the big league level. So he's not going to get anything handed to him. He is going to have to earn it because there are guys collecting paychecks playing all the spots that he can play. There's no reason to, to throw him up there um, at, at the moment if he's striking out at a 30% clip still. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right, I guess before we move on to the pitching, let's just kind of take the offense as a whole. Um, you know, I, I'm clearly still kind of hesitant about this lineup, maybe because it, I, I feel like it got it, it burned me last year and I was I was hurt. And now I'm protecting my heart from further hurt and damage uh, inflicted by this offense. So I guess, Paul, your overall uh, feeling, I guess, about the offense heading into the season. Is this an average above average group or could this again be really hard to watch sometimes? So they're tough to figure because they've put together sort of a, a good middle. And the problem with that is that the, uh, the extremes here are going to cause them to, to swing wildly. So um, there are average hitters up and down the lineup, but they really are dependent on Yelich rebounding to some extent, Adamus maintaining his level of play and perhaps growing on it, um, Renfro not sucking out loud, um, and you know he has been a good hitter, but not always, um, and, and and their platoons breaking right, uh, and you know we, we met we, Ryan helpfully brought up earlier. There's not a lot of lefty starters in the division um, that might screw them. <laughs> the, the, a lot of their their high level backup and depth is meant to punish lefties. Maybe they have a plan here. Um, but right now, I would say that they're more, more likely than anything to be average and boring. Um, they have upside if their stars break rights, if they can get Yelich to like a 125, uh, 130 OPS plus, they'll be pretty good. Um, if he's back to MVP form, they'll be awesome. But uh, right now, it's it's good depth. They have, I think, good floors pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. Ceilings are Ceilings are lacking. Yep. Well, on this side of the ball, the ceilings are lacking. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, with that in mind, let's shift to the happier part, the pitching, (laughs) which I think is... uh, Are you guys used to that yet? I'm still not used to that. No, it's still weird to me. It's really weird. I mean, I've been a Brewer fan for a long time, and their pitching has always been bad. Uh, It's been Even when when they have a good one, it's like, it's Ben Sheets and all the other garbage, and he might get hurt. Or it's Teddy, <laughs> exactly. Teddy Higuera and all the other garbage. He might get hurt. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, no, it, it's uh, Prince Fielder, Ryan Braun, and Chris Narvison starting today. And, <laughs> and no offense to the Narv dog. I love the Narv dog. But uh, yeah, this is still kind of weird for somebody, you know, as, especially maybe some younger fans who really grew up with that era and uh, not used to having a flat out dominant one, two punch right at the top, let alone, you know, like, Paul said it, it's usually been one guy, not like two guys who could conceivably be considered an ace. So kind obviously, three. 
I mean, yeah. So we're going to talk about that too, but uh, we're going to break it up uh, first, the rotation, the top two spots, because Burns and Woodruff are phenomenal. Obviously, uh, Cy Young winner, Corbin Burns. Uh, I'm still kind of riding high off of that as the biggest Corbin Burns fan in the world. And he's looked uh, very good outside of that first spring training start and, and very much looks ready for opening day. Uh, but I guess let's just start here and... You know, obviously, it's great to have this as as a one-two punch. And I guess, how many other teams have a one-two that's this good, Paul? I mean, obviously, like DeGrom and Scherzer, <laughs> uh, hard to beat. But Jake DeGrom's hurt already, yeah, and Max DeGrom, Scherzer's also DeGrom not plays. great. So, uh, or not great health-wise. So, I guess, Paul, outside of that, uh, where do the Brewers kind of stand when it comes to the top two in the rotation? They have the best two in the in in baseball, um, especially given health, and they have the best pitching staff in baseball, um, health notwithstanding. They are go look at anybody listening. Go pull up their beer off page from last year and just look at all the ERA pluses of all the Brewer pitchers, and it mm-hmm. is it is phenomenal how good everybody was last year. Um, like even their bad pitchers from last year and bad I like. <laughs> quote unquote are like 89 OPS uh, or ERA plus guys, which, you know, isn't great, but doesn't suck. <laughs> um, everybody's like 130 or above in the starting lineup. Uh, this uh, and uh, Corbin Burns w- deserved his Cy Young. You know, the Brewers have had uh, a Cy Young winner in the past, not necessarily maybe as deserved. Corbin Burns earned that sucker. He was legitimately the best pitcher in baseball. I know he got some guff for not throwing as many innings as some of the, the other pitchers who yeah. are also elites, uh, which is a fine argument to make, but I don't care because it doesn't cost the Brewers because their bullpen is also awesome. So who cares? Uh, they're playing that smartly, and it's your fault if you have to pitch your starting pitcher more because your bullpen isn't <laughs> as good. Uh, Sorry, go, Zach Wheeler. Yeah. Yes. Um, in any case, um, they are... They're well set up here. Corbin's awesome. Woodruff is barely worse. <laughs> uh, it was a 176 ERA plus to a 166 ERA plus. Freddie Peralta was 152. Honestly, statistically, those are all kind of the same thing. So um, they're uh, they're phenomenal, and there's every reason to think they'll be phenomenal again, especially in the top three. So no complaints. Burns is awesome. He's a pitching ninja fan. Uh, you know, favorite, fun to watch, uh, great to have on the team, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yep. I don't have a lot to add to that, especially about the top guys. I almost just don't even want to jinx it. But to Paul's <laughs> point from before about how if you look at their their BREF page and you look at what the, the ERA pluses were of these guys, Brett Anderson had a 101, meaning he was 1% above the league average. Yeah, and even he was good. Remember, yeah. remember good, but... <laughs> during his starts last year, people would whine and complain and howl. I, Brewer's Twitter would get so discontent about the fact that, oh my God, they're giving Brett Anderson starts. And he had an above average run prevention in in 2020. You have to go down to... real quick. Yeah, you have to go down to and this is this is this actually blew my mind. So this is you had to go down to the 12th guy in terms of innings pitched before you found the first guy who was below average, below the league average in terms of run prevention. And that was Aaron Ashby, who put up a 94. And the only reason for that was because Aaron Ashby was had a really bad first outing and a really bad last outing and then was a complete dominator in between and looks like one of everybody's picks to be a breakout candidate for this year. 
uh, whether that's in the bullpen or in the rotation. That yep. hasn't been decided, but everybody loves him, and he was literally the first guy who was below average in terms of run prevention, just, and just that was the twelfth guy. To put this into some context, the two thousand eight Brewers Ben Sheets led the team with a one thirty seven ERA plus. Uh, the next highest innings pitcher on the team was Dave Bush, who we all know and love. He had a one hundred one. So he Dave Bush was Brett Anderson. He was CC came into that season halfway through. Basically, the Brewers' second best pitcher from that season was their sixth best pitcher of this season. So, yeah, starting I mean, pitcher. It's just, That's it's crazy. absolutely, it, it's flabbergasting. And then you look at like yeah. Jake Cousins here, who was the Brewer with the 13th most innings last year, and he had a 159 ERA plus. It just, they have an embarrassment of riches in terms of pitching up and down the roster. And we'll, we'll get into that more as we go, but that starts at the top, and those guys are. They are relatively young. They have been relatively healthy, though. There have been things. Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns have both missed some time, especially Woodruff has missed some time with some oblique issues, and he has been great in spring training. His ERA is up over 10 in spring training. That probably means nothing, but... Don't care. It probably means nothing, but you don't ever really know. So we'll see. I I haven't looked deeper into the numbers to see what his, uh, like, the, the underlying stuff is, but... We'll get a feel for that in the first outing, I think. That will, yeah. when the real also, lights turn on. If you want to look at a little bit there for Woodruff, I'd actually like to go back and look at his old spring training numbers. I do think he is a high effort pitcher, and maybe one of the knocks you can put on Woodruff is he he is kind of the grinder. I feel like Burns is a much, much easier dominance delivery, and um, Woodruff is more of the bowl. And I, I do think that um, when he's not at... Uh, complete 100% ability to, to do what he needs to do. He does suffer pretty quickly for it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but there's there's just, you can't ask for much more at the top of the rotation than those guys. And it really has been something we've kind of waited our whole lives for as Brewers fans. And <laughs> I think we, we need to enjoy it. We need to take it. And I, I again, I almost don't want to talk so much about it because I feel like that's just jinxing it and that's stupid. But I just... We've been waiting our whole lives for this to happen, and here it is. So let's let's enjoy it. Yeah, especially because uh, pitcher health, no guarantee, as we see with the Mets and their super rotation that they built and yep. already suffering injuries and, and that kind of thing. So uh, just let, let, let's just enjoy every start from Corbin Burns and Brendan Woodruff going forward. Um, and that brings me to Freddie Peralta, as Paul noted. Uh, also super awesome. All-star last year, <laughs> breakout year. Uh, but we decided to break these up into starting pitcher one and two, and then three through five. And, and Freddie is pretty consistently the three there. But that kind of leads us to the question, uh, is Freddie Peralta closer to Burns and Woodruff, or is he closer to, say, Adrian Hauser and Eric Lauer this year? Paul, I feel like I know how you feel about this. So I'm going to start with Ryan. <laughs> oh, interesting. I thought you were going the other direction. Okay. Me too. So, <laughs> yeah, all right. So anyway, I would say that Peralta is closer to the other two, and that's not a knock on Peralta because I think uh, one of the most underrated aspects of the Brewers last year was the fact that Eric Lauer went out and put up a 134 ERA plus and Adrian Hauser put up a 132 ERA plus. They were both really, really good for different reasons. And we've also seen this spring, Eric Lauer is throwing harder than he was last year. He is improving Mm -hmm. now in his third year with the Brewers. Um, He is adding some velocity 
And that is one thing the Brewers have excelled at. I saw a thing uh, probably more than a year ago now. He talked about the organizations that most reliably added velocity to pitchers, and that's the Brewers. And you would think that that would then come with a lot of injuries. And the Brewers have also managed, knock on every piece of wood I can find in this room, the Brewers have managed to avoid pitcher injuries pretty damn well under yep. David Stearns. It, 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 it seems to be a skill that they possess. Now, that doesn't mean it will work all the time for everybody. They've certainly had pitcher injuries, but they've been better at it than a lot of people, I think, because they watch it all very closely and have a very good idea of what they're looking for. So, But just the fact that Peralta was last year, he had a 152 ERA plus. I think he falls off of that a little bit, but I think that Hauser and Lauer, especially Lauer, I think he's he's closer to Lauer than he is to Corbin Burns, if that makes sense. And that's not really a knock on Freddie. It's just that Eric Lauer is just that damn good. Hmm. Yep, Paul, that's I fair. know you're yeah, so, big, big Freddie fan, right, Paul? <laughs> I am a big Freddie fan. I will say, uh, I think there is projectability left in both uh, Peralta and Lauer. And so the question is a little tricky because I think you could actually ask the same question of Eric Lauer um, and maybe give a similar answer that he's also close to the top two. Uh, if he does add a little bit more velocity and cut his walks a little bit more, he will also quickly ascend into those ranks too. Um, the reason I think Freddie is uh, closer to Burns and Woodruff than the guys underneath him um, are he is right there on, on whip and actually better than uh, Brendan Woodruff on strikeouts per nine. His problem, well-documented, uh, tend to be just he walks a little too many people, uh, a few too many people, and um, his stuff's good enough that he, I think he can live in the zone a little bit more with a, just a tad more control and still miss bats. Um, so um, I I think Freddie is he's still very young, um, is basically a very minor change away from being um, a, a Cy Young contender in his own right. And uh, but I, the thing is, I think Ryan's answer is just as right. Because I think Lauer, is, you can say a lot of the same things about him. Um, and, you know, it, it's possible that they'll experience some regression in their pitching this year because they were great last year. But it's also possible that they'll end up with four guys who are all excellent by the time the season is over. Well, and they all sort of possess their own unique set of skills and their own set of uh, their repertoire. Adrian Hauser's kind of a throwback. I, I want to credit, oh, I think it was I, Craig we didn't Goldstein. even talk about Hauser, and we should talk about Hauser, but yeah. do, do yeah. Goldstein first. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> what Craig, I, I'm pretty sure it was Craig Goldstein. It was him and um, him and Paternoster talking about this on the Baseball Prospectus pod. Uh, basically, just it's really hard to get anything in the air off Adrian Hauser. He mm -hmm. puts everything, he drives everything down, so batters end up pounding everything into the ground. He is a very hard pitcher to elevate off of, and so that particular set of that skill it works really well when you have the infield that the brewers have and yep. have been able to you know, vacuum things up especially the the middle infield that they possess it, it's really very useful for that so yeah i thought lefties would always be a bugaboo for hauser uh, when he first came up and mm -hmm. he basically stopped giving up any fly balls to to both sides and now he just annihilates righties and lefties can't hit home runs and that's good enough. That does the trick. So he's also excellent for his own little skill set there. Yeah, and it's a weird profile, too. It's bizarre. It's it's yeah. crazy profile. Um, yeah. Don't really ever see anything like it. Just, you know, lefty lefty swings kind of elevate the ball. They, they are typically more uppercut than righty swings. They learn to hit well by seeing the right-handed ball coming in 
Um, that's why the that's why platoon splits are different between lefties and righties. Uh, lefties grow up seeing mostly right-handed pitchers, seeing the ball better, having more time to react to it and develop their swings based on it, tend to elevate the ball more because of it. And that's why Hauser usually doesn't work. It's hard for a right-handed pitcher to 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 create ground balls on left-handed pitchers, and um, he has managed to do it, and will also always, I think, be a good pitcher because of it. Uh, and you know, he's going to age well because. Uh, even when he starts to decline a little bit, he's still going to be, I think, a, a good rookie kind of forever. If Adrian Hauser pitches into his mid to late 30s, I won't be surprised. Yeah, and he is kind of a throwback. And I think that this is a good point that we need to talk about in general for the Brewers. They love having different sorts of pitchers on this team. And God, yeah. they have such a wide variety. Think of a batter who might come in in the fifth inning or sixth inning facing Corbin Burns. And then in the seventh or you know, seventh inning, they might see Brett Suter. And then in the, the ninth inning, they might see, say, Devin Williams or something like or, or Josh Hader. They're seeing such a wide variety of pitchers who do so many different things. And Hauser is a throwback to an era where he, he's basically and I think, again, Goldstein and Paternoster said this. So I want to give credit to it. He's basically like an old Cardinals pitcher. He's like a Dave Duncan guy, right? Like this is a an extreme ground balling sinker heavy sort of thing and the yep. sinker has gone out of vogue in baseball but the brewers are kind of i think on the forefront of bringing it back in some ways because there are some things that it still does and if if guys are all gearing their swings now to be able to hit the high uh high spin rate high pitch if that's what they're they're trying to to, to groove their swings for then having a guy who can you know get down and, and sink the ball and break people's bats in on their hands is incredibly valuable. And it also just gives you another look to be able to throw where hitters just are never going to really get comfortable because they're just seeing different stuff every time they come to the plate. Yeah. Uh, really quick before we move on, on the topic of Adrian Hauser, if you haven't already, go read the athletic piece on, uh, they pulled each brewer starting pitcher on which pitch they would like to steal from a teammate. And the pitch that won was Adrian Hauser's sinker. sinker. Yep. So That's, that was that kind of mind nuts. blowing. Not not the Airbender. The <laughs> yep. No, when you consider, yeah, the pitches that we're talking about, like Corbin Burns's, just like bastard cutter that he has. That although they they did qualify that because Corbin Burns apparently has a physical anomaly that allows him oh, to throw yeah. his cutter specially. <laughs> so they said outside of Corbin's cutter, what would you choose? And, yeah, because nobody know, else can move Freddy's, their finger like that. Basically, is yeah, what it was. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Freddie's slider was up there, but, uh, you know, a change up or two. But, yeah, it was Adrian Hauser's sinker. Like, Woodruff said he would love that thing. I, I think Corbin said it, too. Like, it, that was the pitch that won the poll. And I think that kind of just goes to show the kind of, like, respect that he has in that rotation, too, for what he can do. Well, so, and I think, uh, too, with that, it probably is a pitch that rarely gets when it when it's located it probably almost never gets hit for a home run and i'm sure pitchers really like that like if they look at a pitch and go okay i don't have to worry if as long as i locate this thing where it's supposed to be they're not going to hit a home run on this like it will not yep. happen that's got to be just a very tempting sort of thing for pitchers to have cuz it Absolutely. is the thing you worry about in the game today where every hitter that you're seeing is kind of capable of of jacking a home run off of you. And so you'd, you'd like to see, you know, a pitch that that's going to be pretty unlikely. And th that would be one that would be make it pretty unlikely. Yeah. I forget what the expected batting average was on that pitch, but it was something insane. I think it was 
sub 200 or something. It, it was absurd. So it was yeah, one of the top 10 pitches yeah. in baseball last year. The, was, Brewers, yeah. the Brewers had a bunch of those. I mean, obviously the airbender was in there and they Burns's uh, cutter was in there. Like they have a lot of those pitches on this staff where they just have, you know, bastard pitch after bastard pitch. Yep. All right. So we talked about the really strong one through five, maybe slash probably the best in, in the national league, if not the majors, but I guess quickly, the question is what's beyond that. So say one of those five guys gets hurt. Uh, what's the Brewer situation at? Obviously you, you guys mentioned Ashby as probably a likely guy to step in. Craig councils mentioned that he thinks Ethan small will make starts for the Brewers this year as well. Uh, But beyond that, I, you know, I've again heard the national chatter that, you know, this is just a one through five team, Paul. And and beyond that, there's nothing special, I guess. What's your reaction to that? And how do you feel about the pitching depth? Uh, I feel like that's kind of silly and, a, a, a ridiculous thing to say, I think. Um, first of all, if Aaron Ashby has to make starts, that's fine. Um, I think he has a bright future, uh, a ceiling as high as anybody. Um, he'll see a ton of bullpen work and can certainly step in and spot start. But, I mean, Ethan Smalls being worked out as a smarter, too. He's been one of their top prospects for a long time. Uh, also looks to be quite good. And it also... The Brewers often end up going with a six, a kind of six-man rotation, and when they, when they need a spot start, they are also excellent at putting together, yeah, their their sort of middle relief tag teams if they need to too. So uh, they're super strong at the top. They're really good at using their depth. They have potential behind the guys at the top, even if it's not fully developed yet, with Small and Ashby. And you won't find teams with actually this much depth out there. Uh, the Brewers are. Uh, they, they, I mean, you can't withstand losing Woodruff and Burns and Peralta, probably. But um, they're they're in a good spot to withstand the normal wear and tear and the normal injuries the teams face over the course of a season. They have very good depth and a manager who knows how to make the most out of it. I guess this is probably where we're going to disagree the most, and it's it's maybe a nuance, but we talked about this a little bit before we started. Um, how do I want to get into this? So basically, the. I think that if you compare what their depth is now to what David Stern's pitching rotation depths generally have been, um, we've generally looked more like at seven, eight, nine guys deep and have said, oh, yeah, if we have to run with and this is back in the days when maybe Brandon Woodruff was like the sixth guy or the seventh guy. And they, if you if you looked at that compared to where they've been in the past, I don't think they're as deep as they have been. I think this is much more of a they have six guys. But even Aaron Ashby as the sixth guy is kind of shaky, and you don't know if ultimately he's more of a starter or a reliever. And Ethan Small has not pitched at all in the big leagues yet. So they definitely don't have the six, seven, eight that David Stearns typically has had. And I don't actually think that's a huge problem. And the reason I don't think that's a huge problem is because I think that, one, they do have, so with Small and Ashby, they do have these options. They have guys there who could potentially step in. But also, there's just the reality here, and this is what I, I brought up to Paul before the thing, which is his old thing about how um, spending a lot of money on a backup quarterback is stupid. And that's because if you're starting quarterback who's like a Hall of Famer, if, if it's Aaron Rodgers, if Aaron Rodgers is your starter, you don't spend a lot of money on your backup because if Aaron Rodgers goes down and, and you, you like lose the season, then you're probably screwed anyway. 
And at that point, you're going to kind of be looking to see what you can salvage from the season, maybe get a higher draft pick, maybe take advantage of some some time to like reset the roster a little bit, whatever. You're going to do some other things. And I think that that's actually somewhat the situation with them. If they lose, like, if if we're looking at in mid-July and we've got, like, two of the top three pitchers are down and, you know, are missing significant amounts of time, I think the team's kind of screwed anyway. Like, they could still maybe make the playoffs, but they're not going anywhere. This isn't going to be, like, the, the season that we were hoping for. So... I think it makes more sense in this case to to not necessarily worry about that depth because you, the, your frontline guys are so good. And if it doesn't really work out, if it falls apart on you, then it falls apart on you and you kind of move on to next year at that point. So I know you didn't fully agree with that, Paul. So <laughs> go ahead. Well, so um, part of the reason I don't, I don't agree. So first of all, yes, I agree with that general theory. However, I think it's worth pointing out the, the the time it failed, which is when Aaron Rodgers got hurt and the Brewers managed to make the playoffs at 8-7-1 and one because the rest of their division sucked so terribly and got Aaron Rodgers back in time for the playoffs and didn't quite do anything, but almost did. Um, Jeff Janis, be praised. Um, um, anyway, um, <laughs> they do play in a bad division, and they do have a manager who's good at making good pitching out of not much um, and they do have depth both bullpen wise and maybe out of small and ashby that's the thing they're an unknown but but you're fundamentally right like the team's stars are woodruff burns and peralta to a lesser extent and if your stars get hurt in any sport you can't just plug a guy in and get the same production out of them it just doesn't work that way you know and it doesn't really matter if they're an offensive player or a pitcher um the same principle applies if um if, if Mike Trout goes down for the Angels, they can't just plug in somebody. Uh, I don't know who Mike Trout's <laughs> backup is because I don't care because if Mike Trout gets hurt, I care even less about the Angels than I do right now, which is very little. Um, if he gets hurt, they're screwed. And um, I mean, they're all screwed anyway, but they're screwed, even more screwed. And, you know, that's just how stars work. So you're, you're fundamentally right. The one thing where I would, if they can get them back for the playoffs, they play in an awful division. And um, they might be able to make the playoffs with an awful record. So if they could squeak their way in and get their pitchers back, they could still be dangerous. But I mean, if they're pitch- if Woodruff and Burns aren't pitching in the playoffs, they're not going to win the World Series. It's not going to happen. Yep, I, that's kind of the core point that I wanted to make. Yep. And so I think that not having the tremendous rotation depth that has been really a hallmark of David Stearns in the past is fine and sort of makes sense here. And maybe in two months that looks really stupid and whatever. But even <laughs> even in that case, if we're if we're at that point and it's looking really grim, like they're probably going to be hitting the waiver wire and trying to maybe yeah. make a trade and do stuff like that anyway. So I, I guess it's I just worth, wouldn't freak out. It's worth noting it, it's at least possible that Ethan Small and Aaron Ashby are also awesome. I mean, it very yes. well could be. I just don't so, know that it's right now. Like if they are awesome, <laughs> I would tend to think because the Brewers, if you look at the guys they've had, they just look at the big three. Everybody in the actually look at everybody in their rotation. They've all taken time. The Brewers have had to work with them to turn into the pitchers they were. You know, yeah. Freddie Peralta did not show up. And granted, he was 20 years old, but he didn't show up right away and was great. Corbin Burns Cor- obviously Corbin Burns had a terrible season in there. Yep. Which is crazy to look back on. 
And Woodruff took time to develop up too. And Eric Lauer, at this time last year, you were convinced Eric Lauer was like bound for you know the scrap heap, and that also we, true. We're not going to have him, <laughs> and that was like a perfectly like reasonable thing to think because he hadn't been very good in 2020. But it took them a year to kind of figure that out. And Adrian Hauser's also gone through development. So just because they're here now, don't necessarily expect them to be great immediately and don't write them off if they're not good to start with. Because the way that this works for the Brewers, really for everybody, but especially for the Brewers, is it takes some time. They, they, it takes time to do the science that Paul was talking about earlier. Exactly. All right. Well, speaking of the science uh, that brewers have used, kind of the the nerd cave and in that, you know, brewers <laughs> devil magic to really develop up a a bullpen that is also, you know, seemingly a, a very big strength of this team. So obviously, you know, Josh Hader still a brewer, despite all the questions we take about one that are going to trade <sighs> him. Uh, Devin Williams still a brewer, even after he punched a wall and apparently had a plate put in his hand. Uh, and but still outside of those bending. Guys, and still air bending. Yep, uh, looks so fine. the the yep. I, not too worried about that anymore. Yeah, I know I know that was kind of a concern, but the airbender looks as wicked as ever, at least based on the the gifts I'm seeing from pitching ninja. So uh that's always nice to see as well. Uh but I guess outside of those guys, who are the guys that Craig Council is gonna really lean on? Because you know, we're gonna kind of assume here that again Craig Council and a lot of managers across the league going to be uh closely managing their pitching staffs at least early in the year. So Paul, I guess outside of the big 2, who are you kind of looking to to kind of handle the the high high leverage uh big moment innings here? So uh, I think ever since he first arrived in the majors, Jake Cousins has looked special uh, immediately and in one of in one in a way that you can just immediately perceive in the movement on his pitches in, in just pure velocity um and i think he will quickly ascend up the bullpen ranks he kind of already has to be honest so um he i think i feel perfectly comfortable with him in high leverage situations already and i, I think that he will start to see uh, just a major role going forward and not surprising to anybody jay cousins is clearly awesome already um, he would be the big one. Worth noting. Um, um, yeah, shoot, lost my notes. Boxberger is back. Yes, he is. Okay, Brad Boxberger is back, and he's not great, but he is fine. Um, and <laughs> will grind out, um, you know, um, grind out innings when needed, and be okay when needed too. And we'll probably keep a somewhat major position in the bullpen too. But all all the big ones are 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 back and still good. I mean, Josh Hader's still the best relief pitcher in baseball, and Devin Williams is still kind of the second best relief pitcher in baseball when he's fully healthy and working. And Brent Suter is still a gr- secret great long man um, who his win total last year is funny, but it's also not totally unjustified based on how he pitches. Brent Suter is really good. And um, also one of those guys that will probably pitch until he dies um, and also a good clubhouse guy. So, um, it, but Cousins is going to be the guy who shoots up the ranks and makes them maybe even better than they were last year. So that's what they have going for them, and it's a lot. They should be great again. Yeah, I, Cousins would be the guy that stands out to me there. I think this is where I also need to make my standard plea to understand that Brent Suter is really important to this team and is really yep. vital to what – like all of the stuff Craig Council does relies on having somebody like Brent Suter around 
to be able to soak innings and just kind of be able to do everything and do it relatively well. And so I think he's really important for that. If you wanted another name, the Jose Urania thing has been really interesting where they they brought him in from the Marlins. He had been a starter there. They're moving him to the bullpen. He pitched his first uh, game today, was throwing 98. And they decided to put him immediately onto the 40-man roster, even though he had no options. So I don't know if that was part of the deal that they had with him when they signed him. Probably, right? Like, that would make sense. Yeah. But he's a guy to keep an eye on. Um, Trevor Gott is, has made the team, and he has had some success in the past and comes out of the Giants pitching tree, which is always a good place to uh, to go shopping. You yep. have um, multiple Perdomai, per, Perdomos. Yeah, Perdomos. <laughs> Perdomos. You, Perdoma. Yeah, you have you have Angel and Luis. Yeah. So you have those guys. Um JC Mejia. And then all the the guys that we kind of ran through the roster at various points last year, John Del Gustave yeah. and Miguel Let's, Sanchez. I want to talk about the guys I don't like real quick. That's okay. probably better. Uh, so I don't like uh, Jean Del Gustave. I like uh referencing uh, the movie Ratatouille when he comes into pitch. <laughs> But I don't think he's he 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 is bad. Uh, he was their uh, their blowout guy last year a lot of the time when they were up or down by like six or more, and he sucks. Um, uh, I mean, he's a major league baseball player, so he doesn't suck, but he he's not good. Um, and uh, Justin Topa, I still do kind of like. Uh, he was good in a very small sample size before getting hurt, um, and he throws hard, so I think he might be okay. I I, he's not one I don't like, but um, I don't really like Hobie Milner as much as a lot of people seem to. Um, maybe it's because he's a 30 year old man named Hobie and you should change. You should stop that. Um, it's still by Hobe. Come on. You should, you should pick something else. And Miguel Sanchez is okay. And, but his most fun thing is just the Simpsons reference. And uh-huh. he's not that good either. And it's fun when he comes in and it's fun when he leaves. Yeah. I mean, it's all of these things. Like the brewers are going to run through a lot of guys on their roster. And, uh, that's just how this works. And I think that they will find ways to try to extract value, even if it's just a guy who can kind of soak innings. Maybe he, you know, back-to-back days could pitch like four innings out of the bullpen and save the rest of the pen from having to do it. Sure. They they will find ways for these guys to be useful. I guess those are the guys to monitor. Like if they do run into injury problems and bullpen depth problems, if those guys start pitching real innings, then we have issues. Yeah, no, that's that's fine, and that's but they probably won't because they probably won't. They probably won't. But there's another thing we have to consider here is that the Brewers are not going to be able to run their rotation of uh, relievers through Nashville the way that they have in the past. Well, they're going to have to be five option limit, right? Right. They have the five option limit, though. MLB did say that that doesn't start until May. So, <laughs> so April will be fun. April, April's just gonna... flyer miles in April. Yep. Yeah. Well, also there's 28 man rosters in April. You so. know what else we should we should mention really quick, just in case it turns into a story, is the two ball problem. Okay. Because, um, there last year, Major League Baseball was using two different balls with two different properties. One of which was good for pitchers, and one of which was good for hitters. And this year, they are, I think, not doing that because it is. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sleazy? Um, <laughs> calls into question the integrity of the game. And, and uh, we don't know last year what the Brewers mix was, which is annoying. <laughs> right. It's it's possible that they ha- they played with a bunch of good pitcher balls 
and maybe this year won't have that and it'll be vastly different so um who knows baseball made made funsies with their stupid ball and now we have to deal with the consequences yeah i don't think it's going to be i think they got enough of a mix last year that i wouldn't maybe (laughs) well people have looked at it and they've basically been able to identify which games which balls were being used at this point and it it probably isn't that bad the main thing seems to have been they just didn't spend much time making sure that like uh the balls were evenly spread around and that you had like some parks that were getting the uh the old ball right away the the ball that was from 2020 um, we're still using them well into the season, whereas at other parks, they quickly ran out of the, the old balls and were into the new balls relatively fast. So it looks like it was mostly incompetence rather than anything <laughs> malicious. Say, don't attribute uh, malice to <laughs> yes. things that can be adequately explained by stupidity. That's right. Yeah. That's Hanlon's razor, everybody. Yes. yes. Right. And they are also, everybody's watching it now. There's a whole guys. There is a whole cadre of nerds. Um, oh yeah, it's great. Proud, proud nerds who watch this stuff. The Eno Saraces of the world are watching this stuff, and they know it uh, probably before most people in baseball know it. Before they've identified it, people are picking up on these these trends and these things that are going on. Everybody who is capable of looking at the the, the spreadsheets and things are watching not only the balls, but they're also watching the sticky stuff situation and all of that. These things are all being monitored by nerds. So sleep tight, knowing that the nerds are on the case. <laughs> God bless the nerds. Don't God worry. bless the nerds. God bless the nerds. Yeah, Ro- right. Robert, Robert Arthur at Prospectus also. Oh, yes. Uh, Robert Arthur, uh, thank you. On, on those in two seconds once we have uh, any film of balls in play or spinning mm-hmm. or anything. Absolutely. All right. Uh, before we get to, you know, the, the rest of the league and division previews, we do have another Patreon question. It comes from Corey Diedrich, who's asking, who will be the surprise cut from camp and who will be the surprise keep? Uh, Ryan, I guess, who do you have here? I know there's been some announcements already on who's making the roster and who isn't. So anybody stick out to you so far or who is someone to look out for in the next few days here? I'm not predicting it, but if you want a surprise cut, and it wouldn't be obviously to cut from the team. It would be to to option down. It would be Keston Hero. Yeah, if, is it, that is well, that a surprise? I guess. Well, if they decided, well, because he's been the talk of camp, and because uh, if you look at point. it, if you look at his numbers, like he is, he's hit four home runs. He's hitting four hundred. Yeah. By yeah. by what a lot of people would look at and judge that by, they would say, yeah, that would be that would be shocking. But. The Brewers could go to him and legitimately say, look, right now we don't have every day at bats for you. We would have to work you in and you'd have to play some left field. You'd have to play some DH. You'd have to play some first base and you'd be in and out of the lineup. and You'd never really be able to get a rhythm. You'd never really be able to get going. Um, We're going to send you down so that you have a chance to get your bearings. And we want you to, you know, hit the hell out of triple A pitching for a while that would be the case for it i don't even know that it's going to happen but i would say if there's like going to be a surprise quote unquote surprise yeah. uh cut he would be one that would make sense to be a surprise if that makes sense the the predictable surprise <laughs> <laughs> no that's fair i might steal it from you actually just up and down the roster it's hard to see another one that's that would be too surprising like i guess i think i think bruce so might 
might actually make the team, depending on the health of their middle infield. Well, no, um, we already know that Urias is, is out, and I think Brousseau is going to make it. I don't okay. think there's any yeah. question, especially with a 28-man roster to, for April. Yeah. Brousseau's in. I didn't know Urias was dead dead at this point. So okay. No, he's, yeah, he's, he's going to miss the first series probably. Sorry, he's probably going to miss the first road trip. And almost probably going to, there's a good chance he misses the entire first homestand too. Okay. So we're looking a couple weeks into the season. Urias is out. I've already benched him in my fantasy league since <laughs> I have him in like every fantasy league I'm in. <laughs> so I'm yeah, already, I, I've already done that. And Brousseau and the, the Urias injury may actually kind of work against Keston too, right? Because they kind of need that versatility and that extra bench versatile utility bat too if you know jace or whoever is going to be playing largely every day as well so i maybe that plays into it too yeah i if, to a point they also the brewers early schedule is a little bit weird in that they don't have the off days some teams do because they're playing yeah. two four game series right off the bat with uh they're opening uh on the road with the cubs for four and mm-hmm. then they play a three-game series, I forget where, but then they're back for a four-gamer against the Cardinals. They don't have off days early on. So that's also going to put a little bit more pressure on the pitching staff to uh, for counsel. My guess is they probably open with 15 or 16 pitchers. Yep. So that's going to leave you know not that much room on the bench. All right. Well, that's uh, our lengthy Brewers preview. And now we (laughs) turn to uh, the rest of the league in the division. So obviously, as we've alluded to, the NL Central still not regarded as one of the more strong divisions in baseball. So I think that kind of contributes to our generally good feelings about the Brewers this year. But just to kind of run through the teams really quickly, and then we'll do our rest of division picks and award picks and and be on our way for this week. So, uh, you know, running through the NL Central quick, some key additions, uh, if you can call it that, for the Cardinals. They were largely quiet, but they did add Steven Matz to their rotation. Uh, So that's some much needed depth there, especially since it looks like Jack Flaherty is going to miss the end of the season or the start of the season. And uh, Albert Pujols back for the, you know, retirement tour in St. Louis. Uh, I don't know. I I, I just can't shake the feeling he's going to hit like a crushing home run against the Brewers and suck the rest of the way. But uh, it's still nice for nostalgia reasons to get that as well. But I guess as they stand, even though they didn't do much, Paul, are they the biggest threat to the Brewers in the division right now? Yes, um, with a qualification I'll save for a little bit later. But yes, they are because they're still fairly well put together. P- projection systems don't like the Cardinals, but uh, they're they always beat them. They always play pretty well, and, and we can make fun of the Albert and Yachty retirement tour a little bit. But um, often in in their final seasons, good players will play quite well, just going all out every day, ignoring injuries for the future, things like that. And with the DH coming in, uh, like Albert still actually hits opposite side pitching pretty well. Yeah, so the, he could be a lefty masher as well. It's it's right? it's not a it's not totally a you know a ceremonial ad. He can still hit half of a like if he joined the Brewers as a DH, that would be fine. And uh, you know they should be halfway halfway contenders. Even even though I still think the Brewers are leagues better than everybody else in the division they'll be annoying they'll probably have some of their old men do annoying things against the brewers but the you know the biggest threat but not a huge threat good young outfield too right ryan yeah i mean they do have a pretty decent outfield their their weakness is just really that starting pitching is bad it's and if, bad. if you want to see it be real bad yeah yeah if you want to see a path to success for them because like obviously 
Adam Wainwright is also like he's 40 and he was good last year, but will that last? Can you like, is it's, it's the three of them as the old man retirement tour. It's not just, I, Yachty for, I forgot Yacht. about Adam Wainwright. Yeah. yeah. He's also, yeah. Don't he, forget the Wayno. <laughs> uh, but if you look at sort of the, the, the path to success for them, and this probably has a lot to do with why they got rid of Mike Schilt and hired somebody that is a lot more progressive uh, thinking um, in Marmol that they, they brought in. Um, basically, I think what their, their path to success is, is to do what the 2017-18 Brewers did. Especially the 18 Brewers, where they were the, the starting rotation was really just being uh, strung together with bailing wire and twine and some chewing gum and like MacGyvering the shit out of that thing. That's yep. their path to success because they really do have a deep, deep bullpen with a lot of talented pitchers in that bullpen. So I think that if you look at like their their uh, lineup or their their bullpen, their list and their depth chart, they are, are four closers deep. And yeah. they're all pretty decent players. Uh, Giovanni Gallegos, uh, Yanis Cabrera, Jordan Hicks, Ryan Helsley. They have a lot of good relief pitchers. And that's not even mentioning you know some other guys that they have there that are also pretty good. So I think that if they can get through four to five innings out of their, their starters, they can hand it over to the bullpen on a lot of days and, and get wins. And put that together with an offense that figures to be above average, they can be a pain in the ass. Like this team yeah. can, can win 90 games without much of a rotation as they are always a pain they, in the ass. because they always are. <laughs> yes. But it, it really is like that. That starting rotation is really sketchy right now. So, um, but if, if they manage to work the brewers path to success in 2018, I, I could see them, you know, being a legitimate, uh, threat to the Brewers in the division. All right. Speaking of pains in the ass, the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> um, I think they could actually kind of be a sneaky, yeah, competent yep. team this yep. year. I, they were like under the radar, really busy this offseason. So uh, easy to forget. They added Marcus Stroman. Uh, they landed Seiya Suzuki, which I think is possibly a steal of the offseason. Yep. Um, if you really buy into uh, the potential there. They also added Jan Gomes, which creates an awkward situation with Wilson Contreras, but we'll see how that plays out. <laughs> and then they also added J old friend Jonathan VR to kind of be their super utility player. So, um, you know, obviously they had the big fire sale last last summer, traded away the, the core three there in, in Rizzo, Bryant and Baez. But I think maybe, you know, also given the, the weakness of the bottom half of the division, Paul, is it outside of the realm of possibility they could challenge for that third wildcard spot there? So it's not outside of the realm of possibility, but I think the, the more wording sign for the Cubs isn't about this year. It's about quick it's about like two years from now because yeah. they're showing signs of intelligence um which mm -hmm. is annoying it that's annoying uh, i still don't think they'll they'll be good this year but th they're worth worrying about because uh if they do manage to uh get a good uh a good bout of production from like uh still hendrix and like wait miley like plays like he did when he was a brewer um and they can string together a decent rotation um and they're in it uh, for a couple months, they might start to make additions pretty quickly. They have the ability to do that. And and uh, 
there's not a ton of talent here, but they've they've made it at least interesting. Like getting getting Suzuki was like, oh, now they're annoying because they were terrible. I mean, not that he'll be great or anything. Guys sometimes struggle when they come over here, but it was it was it was a move. that was like, oh, now they have like the the makings of maybe an interesting lineup. Um, if you if you play guys smartly and you squint a little bit, and Patrick Wisdom doesn't strike out in like half his at bats, and um, a couple other things happen. Yeah, all right, maybe. Uh, they're still only projected for 72 wins by prospectus. Most other um, projection systems agree with that. They traded away a ton of talent, but uh, they're, they clearly are already building from the bottom up, and uh, they're not atrocious, which they were a few weeks ago. Well, speaking of the Brewers model, they're trying to run the Brewers model 2016-2017 rebuild here where right. they do it a lot faster than what you know, like people generally think. And I think they're off to a great start. They've, they yep. added a bunch of talent to their farm system in that fire sale last summer. The farm system still is not great, but it is rapidly improving and they will be investing, you know, draft picks and, uh, and international signings. And they will be pushing a lot of that, um, in, in the coming years. So yeah, they're, they're a pain in the butt. And they also still have some guys that they could move off. Like if they do decide to, to sell off Wilson Contreras this summer, they should get something for him. Yep. You know, there's, there's other guys, other things they can do here to, to do this. And I think the biggest thing is they're going to spend money, not in the big sense, like not in the, we're going to go to a $250 million payroll here, but they're going to spend money on guys like Stroman and Suzuki and, you know, even smaller level signings like, say, Jonathan VR, who they brought in to see what they can give them. And that was really the hallmark of how the Brewers did this and why they were such a surprising team, especially in 2017. You had guys like Travis Shaw, uh, Jesus Aguilar, like these guys, Eric Thames had kind of seasons out of nowhere on relatively modest investments. Mm -hmm. And that's what the Cubs are, are looking to do here. And like. It is frightening. Like, obviously, they were a well-run team under Theo, but maybe they lost the plot a little bit towards the the end of the Theo era, and so it's been sort of reinvigorated with the Jed Hoyer, who was Theo's top lieutenant that whole time. But they seem to have sort of refound some of the inefficiency-finding abilities that they had early on and have gotten back to that now. So they're a pain in the ass, probably not for this year, but definitely going forward. The Cubs are not going to be in a five-year rebuild this time. They're just not. Yeah, and it's like, you know, they're kind of maybe running back the whole Theo plan, right? Because them signing Marcus Stroman was kind of surprising to me, but then it was also sort of reminiscent to when the Cubs signed John Lester when they were still ass terrible and knowing that it would be a year or two, but then he would be their ace. And like, that was their opportunity to get him. Right. So I think it shows long-term planning. Well, actually to roll it back even before that, they brought in Edwin Jackson early on in that rebuild and it turned out to be a bad signing. Like he didn't really work out. Edwin Jackson was not good for them. And that was one of his, you know, 15 major league teams that he was on. But they they did invest that money. Like they gave Edwin Jackson like a four year, $40 million deal in the midst yes, of their rebuild. So, yeah, they're going to do smart, annoying things here. The question is just kind of how quickly it comes together and when they want to actually push for going over the top. Um, All right. But it's probably sooner rather than later. And that's unfortunate and really annoying. <laughs> annoying for sure. Uh, well, the opposite of doing smart long term planning 
is the Cincinnati Reds. Hey, hey, hey. I actually I disagree. I think that what they're doing is smart. It's just painful. Uh, okay. You're you're wrong. It's but painful, well, but it's it's smart. But also the the entirely bad look of coming out of a lockout and then immediately selling off all of your players, <laughs> uh, kind of hard to argue with. So the Reds have basically been stripped down to the studs. Yep. Uh, the only thing left is like Luis Castillo, and he hasn't been traded yet because he's hurt, and he will be traded. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, you know, good thing for Adrian Hauser. Jesse Winker's out of the division, so that's cool. But uh, <laughs> obviously, the the Reds might actually be the worst team in the division. They're the worst I team mean, in the, the division. The yeah. Pirates will give them a run for their money, but the Pirates at least have a good, bright future to look forward to. Yeah, right, Paul. And some 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 of the Pirates' bright future will get cups of coffee this year that will make them better than the Reds, who are just going to run out crap every single day of the week. Um, it's it's a teardown. It's a tank. They're bad. And Ryan uh, Ryan said it might be the smart thing to do. But th- this is um, a baseball league with a lot of playoff spots. They were not atrocious last year. They're a dumb team, and they did uh, they did the dumb sort of double look here in not doing quite enough to contend last year and then doing a complete ass teardown this year with nothing in between. Um, it's a, I don't know, maybe five years from now they're fine, but I think that they're a stupid team and I'm not sure that's the case. So um, they're going to be bad this year. They will be worse than the pirates. They do have Hunter Strickland. He's pretty good. Um, but uh, they have, they have Mike Moustakis. He, he's pretty good, but uh, not, not really. Um, it's <laughs> that That's it. That's the only, the only interesting things about the reds are ex brewers and that's it. Yeah, so just to make the case real quickly, they were a team, and this is one of those weird corporate speak things where, and they've taken a lot of shit for this on especially effectively wild about their whole thing where uh, they said they want to align their their payroll with their resources and with the, what they're doing, and that you like that's a terrible euphemism for like we're going to cut payroll and we're going to cut salaries, but. I think it needs to be noted that the Reds were not being run in a sustainable way and they were being run very foolishly and expensively. Uh, It gets lost a little bit because of the 2020 season uh, that being, you know, only 60 games. They were going to run $150 million payroll that year. Let me repeat that. They were if they had played a full season in 2020, they had $150 million payroll. Okay, And that was to basically be a maybe 82, 83, 84 win team over the course of a full season had it played out that way. Um, they were not, they were, they were spending a lot of money very foolishly and very inefficiently, and it wasn't getting them very far. And the the underlying fundamentals of the team was bad. And they fired their fail son, nepotistic guy, Dick Williams, <laughs> who was there before. Now they have a new guy who's like an internal hire. Like, they have a lot of organizational problems that they're not necessarily being run very well right now. And they're not doing um, everything they could, but they're also doing some good things because they have been a good pitching development organization. Uh, I, some of that is Derek Johnson, but I think it goes deeper than that. Kyle Bodie was there briefly, but he's That's not true. there anymore. He's they were, not. they were doing some things but ultimately that organization just has been rudderless for a wrong for a long time they weren't like when when they were zigging they like they were zag or when they should zig they were zagging and like it just wasn't making a lot of sense and when they loaded up to go for it 
in 2020, well, starting at the deadline in 2019 and then into 2020, it was like, okay, they're trading away a bunch of good young prospects who are now like were used by the Dodgers to acquire like great players. Um, Josiah Gray was used to get Trey Turner. Um, they they basically had a, a a really bad plan in place, and it only got them to like the fringest of fringe contention. And they need to be better than that. They need a better plan. Whether or not this is actually that better plan, I don't know. I can't say. But what they were doing before was crap. So, like, the idea that they're cutting payroll, they're still, at this point, what do you think the Reds' opening day payroll is at this point? Uh, 110. No, 122. All right. Uh, Like, they're almost spending, like, what the Brewers are spending at this point. That's how bad like they've they've managed their affairs is that they were spending a bunch of money for like very mediocre teams. And that's after they cut a bunch of their payroll. So it it, it they they needed to be better. I just don't know like if they have the long-term plan. I feel a well, lot better about Pittsburgh's long-term plan than I do theirs. Yeah. Well, also worth noting, Prospectus reran Picota yesterday. And the Reds are projected to be exactly as good as the Cardinals are in second place in the division um they have the cardinals with an extra tenth of a win over the reds but if you go and look at their their simulated win percentage graph they are in fact identical so um they're still projected to be not completely terrible and had they kept a bunch of those guys they'd probably be projected to be a solid second place in the division with a shot shot at the brewers but do you believe that no, because I believe they're a stupid team that can't get out of their own way. Okay. However, I don't believe in their ability to rebuild properly for the same reason. So may as well go for it. I guess. Yeah. I mean, what they need, and like we talked about this, Ezenark in past weeks, like the, the sell the team Bob thing, like they need a new owner. They need an owner who's going to run things better yep. than the way they do. You know what the hardest thing wrong. to change is? <laughs> right. The ownership situation. And apparently, the Cincinnati Reds ownership situation, and I don't know the details of this at all, but apparently it's really screwed up and it's going to be very hard for them to actually sell that team because it's all like weirdly entwined in some way. So Cincinnati fans get to look forward to that. At least it's not Marge shot. So there's that. You know, it is not Marge shot. By the way, sorry, I just to be longer, but my brother. Oh my God, we're my, at two hours already. Right? No, no, no. But my brother had never, he is uh, in his early 30s. He had never heard of Marge shot until like a few years ago. And I sent him like a week, her Wikipedia page so he could read about her. And he's like, the this Nazi woman. The armband th- and all that. This, yeah. this woman owned the Reds in the 90s. And I'm like, yes, that she actually, sure did. That actually happened. Yes. It was like the biggest embarrassment for baseball. Um, well, you know, now to like Bob Nutting. So, but for totally different reasons. <laughs> All right. So, well, speaking yeah. of embarrassing ownership, the Pittsburgh Pirates, as we wrap yeah. things up. Uh, so, as we mentioned, at least some exciting young prospects to to look forward to. Cabrian Hayes looks awesome. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. he got hurt last year. Um, O'Neill Cruz going to be a six, seven shortstop in the major leagues and mm-hmm. hit the piss out of the baseball and Indeed. got demoted because, uh, well, you know why, you know. Uh, but <laughs> he should be up in a few weeks once he works on his defense. Um, <laughs> but I guess uh, the question about the Pirates is how long until they're relevant again? You know, they're always seemingly annoying with the Brewers, but Paul, 
how long until they can kind of make a run at least for a wild card spot here? So not this year. Um, they're still they're still going to be running out a lot of um, just veteran nonsense um, in an attempt to get even a little bit better than they are. But they have they have a good farm system. They have a couple guys who I think will have significant MLB playing time this year and make them not terrible. Um, and uh, I think that they have enough young talent to be better than than the Reds are, at least who are actively trying to lose. So um, there's still a lot of crap on this team. Uh, let's not mince words here. Uh, and a lot of what I said about the Reds um, being an incompetent organization can certainly be said about the Pirates who have who have done this dance many times of building it up, not winning and tearing it all down again. Um, but th- they seem to have done a pretty good job putting their farm system together. Uh, and there is a good core here in the not too distant future, but not this year. Um, they'll get a few, a few wins that you don't expect because they will bring guys up. Um, O'Neill Cruz will play at some point and that will help. And uh, they'll be not, they won't uh, contend this year. But th- they won't be t- atrocious next year. I think maybe two years from now, certainly in contention um, for at least a wild card. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, a completely yeah. reasonable timeline. And also, they have they have Ben Gamble and Dan Vogelbach, which we should mention, <laughs> who, who will be playing major league innings for them, which is how you can tell that they're not ready yet. Right. Uh, just to point out about their their farm system, which is one of the best in baseball, and. It is actually closer to being ready than you might think. Yes, uh, it is. Their top six prospects, uh, Nick Gonzalez, Henry Davis, O'Neill Cruz, Quinn Priester, Rosny Contreras, and Leo Vera Pagero, uh, every one of them is a uh, in advanced A or above. Um, I think every one of those guys is going to start this year either at double A or triple A, and we're going to see a lot of them in the majors this year. Yeah, um, they're pretty close. I think that if you look at that top six, those guys are going to be in the big leagues at the latest by the middle of 2023. So yep. if you want to look at kind of the, the timeline I laid out for this when I was having this discussion on Twitter this weekend with somebody was literally 2022. They're still bad. They're still kind of reshuffling. They're they're finishing sort of the bottoming out process. Uh, 2023 you're going to see like in late 2022 and especially in 2023, you're going to see a ton of guys coming up and that is going to make them a much more interesting team. And then I think going into 2024, they're going to have to see how quickly they can make the transition to filling in holes and starting to put together a team that can win uh, and potentially contend for a wild card in 2024. So I think that's the time frame we're looking at. All right, uh, so let's kind of wrap things up here with division picks. Uh, we can kind of whip through these kind of really fast mm-hmm. and just kind of go through our division yep. winners. But uh, all in agreement, Brewers win the Central? Uh, yes. Yeah, I don't. I, it could go a different way, but I think it's going to be the Brewers. Yep. Yeah, I, I, just based on the pitching alone, I think, and, and looking at the situations as we summarize the other teams, I don't think anybody's quite at that level yet. All right, uh, going around the league then, NL East. Uh, Ryan, do you like the world champion Braves to repeat, or are you thinking Mets, or who's your pick for the East? Man, I want to pick the Mets, but they've had so many injury issues already, and it's just the they're Mets. Cursed. And they're they're so snake bit. They're so I- snake bit. I'm never picking the Mets ever as long as I live. Just not doing it. <laughs> uh, but 
Yeah, it's it's going to be wild, and I think it's actually kind of a three-team race because Philadelphia is starting to make some noise. Like, they're going to do some maybe smart things. Like, they're going to keep Bryson Stott up to start the year and not have a completely terrible defense. Do you guys know that there are people in the, you know, the nerd caves, the various nerd caves, that think that uh, the Phillies might have the worst defense in, like, modern baseball history? Like oh, as yeah. far back as we the can go. Outfield defense. Yeah. I'm yeah, so excited for this outfield. Yeah. They're four DH outfield. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. It's truly amazing. Um, but they, you know, if they make some smart decisions and maybe they go out and they like trade for Kevin Kiermeyer and get themselves a good center fielder and uh, Bryson Stott, who I saw make some incredibly good defensive plays at spring training this year <laughs> when I was out there scouting him. He made he made an incredible leaping catch that was What's just your Philly fan friend out there. Uh, yeah, well, that was no, that was a Boston guy, but whatever. Yes, oh, it was a Boston guy. But yeah, okay. like I think that it's going to be a very intriguing three team race between Atlanta, New York, and Philadelphia. And I will pick the Mets reluctantly because I do think they really did get a lot better. Like tons and tons better, and also because I always fade the Braves because I hate the Braves. So I hate the Braves too, but I'm still gonna pick them. Just uh, I I can't pick the Mets, and the Phillies have too many problems. I think the, they they are I think on the right track, but uh, I, I, Atlanta's just good at this kind of thing. I'm just gonna roll with them for this, and uh, if the Mets can stay healthy for a season, maybe I'll pick them a few years from now. But not right now. Not happening. Give me the Braves, but I hate this division. I hate every team in this division. And I hate. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the the Braves kind of made the uh, unpopular opinion decision to move on from Freddie Freeman, but I think it maybe works out yeah, in the long run with Matt Olson, right? Like a better off long team. run. Oh yeah. no, Matt Olson's not a sure thing. He's yeah, been Matt Olson's really good. He's really good. Uh, he was a I six mean, win player last year. I've but, up. Yeah, but, I've but, at, but I think the question is, is the power for real, right? Um, yeah. And, and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, Freddie's in his in his what mid early to mid 30s. And it is kind of a, a way to extend the window. I think it was it just took a lot of maneuvering to pull that off. So I guess kudos to that in, in the yeah, you're smart thing. But I don't I don't know. It was. Yeah, definitely uh, difficult to see, you know, lifelong Atlanta. Uh, brave Freddie Freeman move on like that. But I, I I do think that they're still the best team in that division. Pitching maybe still a question mark, but mm-hmm. uh, who knows? Maybe uh, they'll stay on fire like they were all postseason. All right. Uh, going out west, who you got, Paul? Uh, you, I, I saw <laughs> that you mentioned Pakota re-ran this, and I looked at Pakota today, and they have the Dodgers projected for a 100 and three wins i got 101 101.0 yeah which is insane for pakota anything over that high is insane but uh is it the dodgers are you still feeling the giants for real i will will take the dodgers the giants are like some kind of weird magic thing and uh if they (laughs) if they were good again uh, the the giant season last year that never works having a bunch of old guys give it one more hurrah and not getting hurt at all it just never actually works, and it worked for them. It's not going to work twice in a row. It's just not going to happen. So, yes, the Dodgers are going to win this division. They're super-duper-duper-duper-duper awesome. They're way better than everybody else is. They're going to kick the shit out of this division, and they will win it easily. I'm going to also take the Dodgers, and I don't think it's all that close, but I would no. give the uh, Fighting San Diegans a, a chance. They have a puncher's chance. It's going to be a lot harder without 
the uh, the motorcycle daredevil. Yeah, they uh, need Tatis to stay away from motorcycles. Yes, right. they do. Like it's going to be harder without without Tatis. But um, Los Angeles has some some cracks in the armor that they maybe haven't had in the past. Their back end of the rotation isn't all that great. Like up front, Walker Bueller and uh, Luis Arias, and then or not. Yeah, Julio Julio Urias, <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then uh, obviously Clay Kershaw. Like that's a great top three, but there's some depth issues behind that in a way that we haven't really seen depth issues from uh, from them. And also the back end of their lineup with you know Cody Bellinger and there's there's some depth issues. Yeah, yeah there's some old. depth issues. They're yeah, there there are some problems with this roster. So I would say that like I still think they're the best team in the division. I still think they're probably the best team in baseball. But there is hope that you could you could see a path to this team being kind of a just sort of a you know a blah 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 whatever ninety five win team. <laughs> and yeah, I guess that's kind of all well, you um, can hope for at this wins. point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that's. That is sort of their floor at this point because they're just the they combine being incredibly well run with having a shit ton of resources. Yeah, I, I've got the Dodgers too. I still don't totally believe in the Giants, and they're gonna have to kind of rebuild that pitching staff all over again. But uh seems like they're ninjas like that too, so I'm not terribly concerned. It's just until you see it a couple of years in a row, right? It's hard to kind of believe that. And, yep. and they've mm-hmm. got some other issues that we've mentioned there. The Padres, I really want to because they're fun and young. And they, you know, just picked up Sean Manaya and, yeah, uh, you know, still adding pieces there. But, man, it, yeah, without Tatis, I don't know uh, if, if they got the juice to really pull that off. And who knows? It's a long year, and maybe he comes back like gangbusters and, and all that. But it, it's pretty clearly the Dodgers for me. Um, I guess shifting then, uh, who's your three NL wild cards? I've got, I guess, based on my division picks, the Giants, the Mets, and the Padres as my three. Ryan, who do you have? Oh, the Gi- You have the Giants? Oh, wow. As, okay. a, as a wild card, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, because the Pakoda has them at 77 wins, and I I don't think that's I know, insane. But, but like, Pakoda is always down on the Giants, as we mentioned. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's the Padres. I give St. Louis. I don't think they're necessarily in the top six teams in the league, but they've certainly got the soft underbelly of, sure do. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. And then, you know, a, a interesting Chicago team, I guess. But, um. And, man, it's going to be really hard for me to pick. I'm going to say Philadelphia. I'm going to say the Braves completely miss out because I just hate them so much. <laughs> so give me the Braves completely missing out uh, this year and things just going wrong for them sort of all over the place. So I, I too, have the Padres, Cardinals, and uh, Phillies as my wild card teams. Okay. Oh, so you have I the Mets completely believe. missing out then? Yes, I do. Ooh, <laughs> that's a spicy meatball. I just can't pick an NL Central team, even for a third wild card. I just, man, this division's bad. It's bad. I don't know. So I think that's kind of where I I fell with the Giants there too. But yeah, uh, I, I I just really struggle to pick even the Cardinals. I I don't know. They'll make it close. I feel like, but I I just can't quite get there with them, just based on that starting rotation as well. All right, uh, AL really quick. AL East. 
Yankees, another Pakota projected super team. Uh, anybody have the Jays here, or are we all picking Yankees? I have the Jays because of COVID. Um, and Ooh, the ability, sneaky, sneaky pick though. Yeah, the ability for people to, to play in Canada. So I will actually take that as as a a five win difference between the two and and push Toronto over the top. Yeah, you know, I look at these and it's like, oh yeah, Toronto, New York, they're really good. You know who's going to win it? It's going to be the Rays because they're like the best run team in baseball. They're really smart. And Pakota having them at 84.5 is an absolute joke. So you know what? Give me the Rays. I'm for once going to be on like the good side of this bet because no, the Rays <laughs> haven't like done anything to get worse from the 100 win team they were last year, right? They won 99 or 100. Like I, they haven't gotten worse. So I, it, <laughs> they have a, a ton of young talent, an insane just ridiculous amount of young talent yeah, 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 and an insane amount of depth. So give me the Rays to win that division. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I still kind of lean Yankees just based on the, the strength of the roster overall and, you know, them getting New York city to change the rules just for them. Uh, that's <laughs> advantageous. Um, but I really want to pick the Jays. I just don't know if this is quite the year. Uh, they I liked a lot of the moves that they made in the offseason, kind of shoring up that rotation as well. Um, and But I, I think they just come up a little bit short. They're definitely my top wild card. Um, probably the second best team in the league, honestly, in the AL. Uh, but that's just the way that the division is stacked up. Yep. Um, all right, shifting to the Central, the AL Central, which may be even somehow worse than the NL Central. Um, I think the White Sox are a really popular pick here, but the Twins kind of doing a lot of things late, shockingly coming away with Carlos Correa. Yeah. Maybe gives them a little bit of momentum in this division race. I still have the White Sox, but Paul, who do you have? I actually will take the Twins. Uh, I like the late additions they've made. Uh, I like the, the, uh, the, the way they've shored up their pitching staff. I like getting Sonny Gray in that division. I think he'll kick the shit out of people. Um, that is a sneaky, deep staff. There are a lot of interesting names and decent players, and I think Byron Buxton will bounce back, too. So um, I like them, and you are, you're correct. This division sucks, but I'll take the Twins in it. I'm going to continue chasing my tail with this one, and I'm going to pick Chicago because every year this happens. We've been doing this dance with the Twins for like five or six years you're now. Right, where, you're right. And you're, you're, you're cutting against the grain, Paul. You're actually saying <laughs> after the down year, you're going to pick them to bounce yep, back up. They're going to do it. Which is smart of you, and I'm going to be dumb, and I'm going to pick the White Sox. Uh, I think they're just the most talented team in the division, and I think that they're loaded basically everywhere. I don't see a lot of holes here. I think the rotation, they have you know stalwarts up the, the top. I think Lucas Giolito might be the AL Cy Young. And then you have so many good young hitters on that team and, uh, and a, a really lights out back into the bullpen as well. I, I don't see the weaknesses here. So I, I'm going to go with the White Sox knowing full well that that means the Twins are going to end up winning 98. <laughs> I really want to pick the Twins, too, just because I really love Carlos Correa ending up in Minnesota, of all places, and a really unique contract and a way to get him in town there. But I just, I guess I don't buy the starting rotation beyond Sonny Gray. That's, there's just a lot of question marks. They could be really good. Um, I saw they're starting Joe Ryan on opening day. 
so I think they're really kind of going all in on the young pitching. And as we know, as, as Brewers fans, sometimes you can be a, a year early in planning on your starting pitch trio, starting pitching trio being really good. Uh, so I, I think that gives the White Sox the edge there. Out West, uh, Astros obviously lost Carlos Correa, uh, just like they lost George Springer the year before. But I think, you know, the running theme is they seem to be able to lose these guys and it doesn't really matter, uh, partially because the rest of the division is bad as well. Uh, so I guess the, the question is, you, you know, it, do the Angels have enough pitching to kind of get Trout, Otani, and, and Rendon into the playoffs? Or do the Astros come away with the title again, Paul? Uh, I hate picking the Astros for all the obvious reasons that you would hate picking the Astros. I think Seattle has done a lot of interesting things and are, are getting close-ish to being relevant again. And I would love to pick the Angels because they have two of my favorite players like they do for everybody else. But Houston's just smarter than everybody. And they don't have stupid ownership. And they've gotten past all of the crap of the banging scheme. And um, they're still really, really good. So I, I'm going to pick Houston as well. Um though I wish that the Angels would just explode and their players be distributed elsewhere because they're mostly a lot of good ones, just not they're not going to get it done. Their pitching's not quite there. So I really wanted to pick the Angels here, and I was all yeah, set. Yeah. To, I was all set to do it. I pulled up their depth chart on ESPN, and I'm like, okay, I what I did? Can't do it. I'm like can't. Shohei, Shohei, Syndergaard, and Patrick Sandoval as a one-two-three. That's a one-two-three that you can you can believe in like that's there's there's some good stuff there yeah center yeah. guard hasn't been healthy in a long time yeah Shohei, Shohei yeah. innings I, I get it and then i saw that jose suarez and michael lorenzen are their four or fives that i just can't do sure it. are I, do it. I just can't do it <laughs> I, i'm sorry i just i have to go back to the astros because they are really well run they know what they're doing and it's you know this is basically a completely different regime than the one that was there that won that banging scheme world series in in 2017 but man like i just i really want to pick them even though and i will say i do you know their ownership situation like Artie moreno is one of the worst owners in baseball yes, secretly he because he spends but he's also like a, a horrible meddler and just you know has them doing really dumb things and there's there's lots on this Angels team you really would like to root for. Joe Adele, like that's a breakout I'd like to to see. I'd like to see um, Anthony Rendon get back to being, you know, he was he was on you know maybe a Hall of Fame path the first through his twenties, you know, with the, with the Nationals. He was he was quite quite good, and he's just you know never healthy now. And yep. you look up and down the the roster, and it's just like eh, I can't do it. So yeah. The Astros, and I, I share your sentiments about Seattle. We may be sleeping on Seattle. This may be, we may be a year late on them uh, because last year, I don't know, people look at run differentials and things. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably look at run differentials and things. The Mariners <laughs> were insanely lucky to be in it in that last yeah. weekend last year. They were not that they good were, a team. They were. they were not. But... They have so much good young talent on the way, and they did make a bunch of really good moves in the offseason. Yeah, they're, they're close. So if they do, if they are a year early in surprise, I will not be surprised about it. Yeah, especially uh, if just, like Kelnick legitimately breaks out and turns into a star player, and um, and uh, the the center fielder Rodriguez, right? Yeah, yeah. If, if yes, if he Julio comes, Rodriguez. Julio, Julio Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Thank you, Julio Rodriguez. <laughs> 
it, it is now opening day it's 11 20 right now just so people know so Absolutely. yeah we're yeah. going on two and a half hours of yep. so yeah but like if that all comes together you could see it working yep. you like you could see it working all right, really quick. Uh, AL wild cards uh, based on my division picks. I have Jays, Rays, and Twins. Ryan, who are your three AL wild cards? Um, I'm going to go Jays, Yanks, and Mariners. Ooh, you buy another Nice Mariners. on the Mariners. Okay. Um, I will go uh, Yankees, Rays, and White Sox. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. I I really want to find space for the the Mariners or the Angels, but man, the AL East is so stacked. It, it's going to be tough for anybody out west to grab a wild card spot. I think. Um, all right, then skipping straight ahead, World Series picks based on that. Um, uh. I know, I know, and this is always just a crapshoot, especially now that we have more wild card teams to worry about. Uh, but I actually think. Um, one of those wild card teams for me is going to make the World Series. I have the Jays in the World Series, but losing to the Dodgers. So Dodgers over Jays is my World Series pick. Paul, how about you? Uh, this is random nonsense. So I'll go Dodgers over Rays. We'll, we'll go smart versus money. There we go. Ryan? We're going to go with the, uh, let's see. Um, let's go Brewers over White Sox. Ooh. <laughs> all right why not why not weird things that happened indeed yeah all right uh really quickly then before we wrap up uh mvp picks nl nl and al um i guess for me as long as shohei Otani, his arm doesn't explode and he doesn't fall apart at the plate he's got to be al mvp because nobody else can do what he does and for me nl mvp i just picked a dodger trey turner i think in a free agent walk year is a solid mvp bet for me paul how about you uh i will go i'll actually go with byron buxton in the al Ooh, um well I pick. Pick, I that would help that. your your twins, twins a lot. and yeah. you know he was so good until he got hurt last year uh he was on his way to winning it and sometimes it takes longer but uh, i i think that there's at least a, a decent shot there uh, it's an outside shot it's not like going out I mean, I'd put money on him at what his odds are, but uh, uh, perfectly fine. And uh, NL, uh, I, I would love to. I would love to have just picked Tatis, but now I can't. So um, uh, that, that guy sucks. That guy sucks. That guy. Sucks. They don't suck. They're all MVP guys. Um, so on a last place Washington <laughs> team. No, that's so. That's the thing. Like the NL is hard because a lot of good players are on in bad situations, and like the Dodgers are hard to parse because they have so many of them, which is annoying. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess I'll go with Freddie Freeman uh, in a relocation. That's a fun story. Why the hell not? I don't care. Give me Juan Soto on that last place team. All right. I think he's going to go like he's aw- he's awesome. I he's going like to go full Barry Bonds supernova. <laughs> like I I yeah. Give me that. And I think there's enough around him in Washington that his counting stats aren't going to be terrible. I think he'll drive in enough runs and he'll get enough RBIs that like people that still look at that are going to look at it. But I think you, he's yeah. going to put up like a 470 on base percentage with like 45 home runs. Yep. I, I by the way, I am going to put a small amount of money on Willie Adamas, who is plus 5,000, because I think that there's Ooh. there's a puncher's chance of that happening. Yeah, that is a that is a nice one. Is that higher than what uh, Yelich is? Uh, that Yelich is like actually 
stupid high. Where is I had him up and I lost him. Um, he's like plus twelve hundred or something like that. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Get your money on plus, sorry, plus plus twenty eight hundred on Yelich. So. Oh, that's okay. That's not yeah, horrible, that's but right. you know, like the Adamas at, at plus five thousand. That's yeah, that's big time. Yep. I would do that, and then um. Over in the ale, I yeah, I mean Otani would be kind of what my heart says, but I also like Vladito could have been the MVP. Like Yep, yep. And I think is going to be, you know, just what, what was it Long and Higgins said about his bat? He called it messianic. Like <laughs> he is and he is Pretty fully great. living up to that now. Uh give me Vladito. All right. I like that one. Uh Cy Young's. Again, I picked a Dodger, Walker yeah. Bueller. I'm gonna keep picking Walker Bueller until he wins one. Uh, A.L. Cy Young, also grown, but Garrett Cole, I just, I don't know who else. I, I mean, Shane Bieber, maybe, but Cleveland's going to be, eh, and he may get traded, so who knows? <laughs> uh, Ryan, how about you, Cy Young picks? Yeah, I, <laughs> I want to take, I want to take Corbin Burns again. I think he's the best pitcher in, so. in the league, yeah, and yeah. like, you know, I don't see challenges coming from a lot of the top guys. I'm going to take Corbin Burns. I'm going to take Corbin okay. Burns. I mean, if I'm picking the Brewers from the World to, Series, like, yeah. yeah, I'm going to take Corbin Burns. And then over in the AL, I think it's going to be somebody more random. Maybe if we're we're talking the Astros, maybe it's one of the Astros young starters yeah. like Garcia. Or you mentioned Giolito too. That's oh yeah, you know what? You're, you're so, right. Okay. Give me give me the Giolito pick. Thank you All right. for reminding me of that. Yeah, <laughs> it's late. I'm it also is. going. I'm also picking Giolito, who is, who is great. I thought about Bieber, but I don't like Cleveland enough for that. Uh, wherever, wherever he is. Um, I, I'm actually. Uh, I'm going to go with my heart a little bit in this one and go with Freddie, um, because I do think uh, one of the things about Freddie that uh, I've always had is my meme of uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia with Charlie being the wild card and jumping out the back of a van because you could never. And when Freddie was a reliever, like it was either he just mowed everybody down or he completely blew up. And I think there's a lot of variability in his game. And um, I do think there's room for projection and growth there. And I think it's at least possible he gets to the same level as Burns Woodruff. And if he happens to have the, the counting stats, and we don't care about wins and losses anymore. We're above that. But if he happens to like lead the team in wins and also lead the team in peripheral stats, there's a good chance he does that. So uh, I'll take him in, in also a, a long shot bid. Okay. All right. And then wrapping things up, rookie of the year. Uh, so, you know, this is always a crapshoot too, based on oh, yeah. who's going to get the most playing time and all that stuff. Uh, I think despite the, uh, early season demotion, O'Neill Cruz, I think has enough hype behind him early, which I think is important to kind of get attention on you to maybe run away with the NL, uh, rookie of the year. That is if you, you know, kind of discount say a Suzuki, I think he's also a, a popular pick there. Uh, AL rookie of the year. I think Bobby Witt Jr. is the clear pick for me but i mean there's a lot of good al rookies too but there's just so much excitement about bobby witt that i think uh that's going to carry through most of the year ryan how about you give me julio rodriguez in the al since i'm already good picking pick. you know like talking picking about the mariners, mariners. yeah Woo! that, that so, would be consistent so let's go with that and over on the nl side like yeah probably like o'neill cruz seems like a good a good pick there. If we think that the the Padre or the sorry the Pirates are going to be good in a few years, like that would be a thing that would really help them. So yeah, give me O'Neill Cruz. Yep, I hate to be boring, but O'Neill Cruz is fun, so I'm also going yes. with him. 
He is addition, nothing if not fun. Yes. So going with that too. And I will take Spencer Torkelson because his name makes me laugh. Oh, good call. I mean, Tork is he was the number yeah. one draft pick in a yeah, like a Yeah. He, good, got good call on Torque. And, yeah. and he is on the opening day roster. He's on the opening day roster. On the opening day roster. He's really good. And his name is Spencer Torkelson. So that's, all right. that's great. Yeah. Anytime you have Miggy Cabrera, too, basically lobbying all spring for him to make the opening day roster, uh, I think that's a sign of something, too. One of the best hitters of the generation saying this guy needs to, to be on the roster. So, uh, yeah, those are the picks there. So, um we run we are running really long i'm starting to slur my words because i'm tired uh but a couple quick questions here to wrap things up brian polakowski asking now that the brewers have two hitting coaches does council have to ceremonially (laughs) fire them as soon as the bats go quiet or does he have a cage match for who gets to keep their job it is wrestlemania season i like that one if so who do you take old man strength of ozzy timmons or the youthful connor dawson paul (laughs) Uh, you 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 have two around so that when you have to fire one, you still have continuity in the job. It's genius, uh, and you keep the, <laughs> you keep the younger one uh, because you have uh, obviously the, the older one has less to contribute. You know, te- teach his ways and move on, and so yeah, that's it. Um, that's the answer, right? That we don't need to answer like who's better or anything like that. Nah, just no, just who wins no. a cage match? Who Hunter wins Dawson. a cage match? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, next question, Adam Post, Ryan, this season, will we see the major league debut of any of the top outfield prospects, Mitchell, Frelick, or Weimer? If so, who? Uh, no, we will not. But if we were going to see one, uh, Frelick being a guy that they bring up to like come in and play defense in center field, should that become a necessary thing? Like if Kane is out for a long period of time. I could see that happening more so than I could see paths for the other two. Even though Freilich is probably a little bit behind them at this point, I could still see them just saying, yeah, well, we need somebody to go out and chase balls down in center field. So we'll, we'll have him be the guy. All right. And last Patreon question this week comes from Alex Lamers asking, let's say the offense struggles as much as last year in the first couple of months. Any chance that the Brewers part with one of the deep pool of starting pitchers to try to get an impact bat during the season? Paul, what do you think about that? I, I don't do know think, who'd be available, but... Yeah, there's probably a chance, yeah. Um, if uh, if their pitching is rolling along and mowing people down, and especially if they start to get star-level performances from some, un, some guys that you maybe don't expect... Um, like if for some reason Ethan Small has to come up and pitch and he's immediately good, or if Ashby takes a step forward and is immediately good, um, and that happens, maybe they start to look at Woodruff a little bit, who will get expensive sooner rather than later and is a little bit of a more of a horse than the rest of the guys. It's at least possible. So uh, you never count anything out with the Brewers, and I, I wouldn't bet on it necessarily because it's the strength of the team and it's a group you want to keep together for a playoff run. But I, I think if they get blown away by an offer or they really need it to contend, that they would look that way. Yeah, I think it would probably be more likely that they would deal like a small or an Ashby than yeah. one of their current They're starting proven. five. Yeah, just because of you know what teams are looking for and what you know, they want control years that, that is going to be a big value. And they also want upside. Sure. And so... Yeah, I, I could see that being more of the case than I could see them dealing from the the current major league crop in season. In season. Now, in the offseason, that all changes. But yeah, 
In, in season, I think it's more likely that they would deal from truly from the depth as opposed to the major leaguers. Yeah, I'd be surprised if they moved Woodruff in season just because they they are making a push here. Yep. But in the in the winter, who knows? All right. Well, that does it for all of our ah, questions. We made it. Uh, we Barely. did make it. Uh, marathon session here. Uh, so we're gonna have uh, you know plenty for you guys to listen to this week. As a reminder, as always uh patrons get question priority and get their question answered here on the podcast even after two hours and 30 some odd minutes so uh that's a good incentive to sign up we also get a shout out uh when you become a patron or when you upgrade and it looks like that's the case for one of our patrons this week ryan and that is the case Corey dietrich thank you for upgrading from two to five dollars and he also uh, he snuck a question in via the the chat function, so I Ooh. pushed that in. He was wow. the guy who asked that question. Yeah, so we got one of those questions in via the chat. No, I'm not always going to see those. I happen to catch it this time, so <laughs> that's not the most the most reliable way to get your questions. And if you're a patron, is to put them in when I do the call for questions. Yep. Um, also, whoever it was that mimicked my style for that the sample question, yeah, that was amusing. I, I was laughed. Great. And we used the question, so there we, we go. We did. We did use uh, that It saved me some work. All right. So thanks, Corey, for, for upping up to the next level there. A reminder, patreon.com slash tailgate. if you want to become a patron yourself. Uh, even if you're not a patron, we'd appreciate your support in another, another way. You can leave us a review and a rating for this podcast. Uh, reminder, if you go to Apple Podcasts, give us five stars. Leave us uh, a statement there in your review. Paul will literally read anything you write in the review if you give us five stars. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just feel like we kind of deserve some five-star ratings after putting in two and a half hours here tonight. So yeah. uh, I'll just yeah. that out there. No, no, <laughs> new, no new ones this week. I, know, I saw some of you on Twitter threatening to make a comment <laughs> out of the question that Mark Murphy got at the Packers press conference, but uh, nobody did cowards. <laughs> <laughs> that, that really was great. I, Oh man. And the way That's Murphy great. just swatted it down was wonderful too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, so that, that offer still stands as well. And while you're on uh, your podcast subscription service of choice, please do hit that subscribe or follow button wherever you are, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, anywhere else that plays out our podcast, just hit that button. We would greatly appreciate it. And as Ryan mentioned uh, some two odd hours ago, please tell your friends about this podcast as well. Uh, word of mouth helps us uh, you know, spread the awareness too so if you've got some friends interested in baseball season coming up want to know what the brewers are going to be like uh, share the link with them as well and, and we'd love to welcome them into the fold as well uh so thanks again everybody for hanging in for this <laughs> marathon season preview uh still super excited for opening day later this week uh we will recap uh all the action from that first series against the cubs next week here on milwaukee's tailgate uh thanks again everybody and have a good week